0: surf band based out of Guadalajara, Spain. Surf Flamingo released the album Antropenous Bay Terror and this is the title song from that album. They gave us permission to play this song on this episode of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. We have got a lot to get to this time around. Episode 323 is going to have so much. Okay, first of all, We've got a new voice on the show. We're going to be talking with Tim Durbin from the websites, viewing the classics and classics on the tube. We're going to be talking about a 1932 adventure film with a whole bunch of horror overtones, talking about the movie, The Most Dangerous Game. I play a trailer here, but I wasn't able to really find one that was very exciting, so I'm not going to play the trailer this time around. That said, the movie itself is super exciting. And the conversation that I had with Tim... It was a lot of fun. It's the first time I had chatted with him, and I was happy to have him on the show. The way we record is typically through Skype, so Tim was in his home while I was in my home. Tim has a family, and he has a son who was having a very joyful, playful day that day. So every once in a while, you get to hear him in the background. We're just going to call that bonus content on top of the excellent content that I have with Tim. The most dangerous game, fantastic film. Then we have a voicemail from somebody who's been on the show before, a fellow podcaster. Now, after that, I have a very brief bit with me and Scott Morris where we talk about, well, something that just recently happened that kind of sort of impacts the Monster Kid community. And then after that, I have a contest that we're going to talk about. I have a book that was donated by author Anthony Wendell. You know, he's been on the show quite a few times in the past. We're going to do that. And then after all of that, we got to talk about The Mummy. The new Mummy film is out I saw it. I know a lot of you saw it. It's being talked about on Facebook. And we're going to talk about it here on the show. Now, as is typical here on Monster Kid Radio, we do have a lot of spoilers. So you are going to hear some spoilers here on the show. And that includes spoiling a little bit of The Mummy. That's why I'm putting all of The Mummy content towards the end of the show. So after you hear about the contest, and then I'll probably mention the rallies as well, right after that, we're going to start talking about The Mummy. So if you don't want to be spoiled by The Mummy... Or you just don't care about the mummy well that's where it's all at you can enjoy the rest of the show up until that point I hope you stick around though because I had a lot of fun talking about the mummy with Tom Doffel with Chris McMillan I got some voicemails from people who talked about the mummy and you even get to hear my wife in the background during one of those conversations but that's all after the contest all after the mention of the rallies and Scott coming on for a couple of minutes that's all after the most dangerous game and that's All right after this.
1: It is 10 minutes before takeoff time in the uninhabited desert of White Sands, New Mexico. Tell them to stand by for count off and firing. 59, 58, 57, but To reach this dramatic moment were months of construction, checking every detail a thousand times, and a desperate struggle to convince the skeptical, to outwit those who would stop us, to muster up courage to challenge the black, airless void of terror-stricken space.
2: Come back to me, Job. Please, come back. 17, 16, 15... All right, take it away! 13... 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2,
3: fire!
1: Hey, Joe. I could have blown my brains out of gone when Niagara falls in a barrel or found some other decent way to die. The picture you've been reading about in every important national magazine and newspaper. Among them, life. This week, the New York Times, popular science, seeing stars, popular mechanics, parade,
4: the New York Daily News.
5: I am
1: Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors.
6: Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game.
5: My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster-versus-monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen, and that's just in the first storyline.
6: Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link.
2: I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the Chamber is always waiting for its next victim
1: Mad Monster Party! Mad Monster Party! Starring Boris Karloff and,
4: in order of their appearance,
1: Dracula.
4: Frankenstein!
7: The Werewolf!
4: The Hunchback! The Mummy! Dr. Jekyll!
7: Mr. Hyde! And, in order of his disappearance,
4: The invisible Man!
7: Also starring Phyllis Diller as the hostess with the
3: least. Ah, <laughs> ah, Mad Monster Party!
1: It's a come-as-you-are party that's out of this world. You don't get invited. You get
4: committed.
1: It's a psychedelic scare
4: with the grooviest ghouls of all time. (laughs) Mad monster party.
2: Lunch, anyone? It's a blast. Yeah.
0: This is Count Vlad,
1: but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek
0: and his guests often get excited and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing
1: in your parlance you might call these revelations spoilers
0: you know how the children of the night ah I mean monster kids can get sometimes so consider yourself warned
1: and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward
0: I have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that pesky von Helsing. A little while ago, Monster Kid Radio listeners, I I posted a a poll, a a form that you could fill out letting me know if you wanted to be a guest on monster kid radio because i love getting new voices on the show and tim durbin filled out that form and then a while back on facebook he also briefly mentioned a movie called the most dangerous game and you know i thought we, we got to talk about this movie it's a fantastic film and if tim's interested gotta have him on the show tim welcome to monster kid radio sir Thank you. It's a, it's great to be here with you. And thanks for your support of Monster Kid Radio over the years. How long have you been listening? It's been probably about a year. Well, thanks so much for being part of the Monster Kid Radio community. And thanks for something out the forum and and being on me and being patient with me as I get everything scheduled. And this was kind of thrown together last minute, but thank you for taking the time. In this movie wow we're, we're gonna get to this film it, it's fantastic i know you love it and we're gonna get to that but there's something that we do here on monster kid radio with first time uh guests and gotta let our listeners know a little bit more about you you know what i'm talking about right uh, the classic five we've got to do the classic five we got to before we started recording i've been sitting here shuffling my deck of cards i'm gonna it one more good shuffle. I do that more for the sound effect than anything else, but I did give it a good (laughs) shuffle. For listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a card game that we play with guests on Monster Kid Radio. Each card has a question, a this or that, yes or no style question. There's no right or wrong answer. They're all about classic monster movies. It's designed to let our listeners know a little bit more about our guests. Tim, are you ready to play the Classic Five? I certainly am. All right, here we go. Now, I have two decks now of the Classic Five, and I've mixed them up, so we might have some new questions, some old questions. Here we go. Right off the top, card number one. What is your favorite classic monster movie sequel?
8: Oh, that's a tough one. There are so many, really. Uh, I would have to say it's probably uh, *Son of Frankenstein*. I know that uh, *Bride of Frankenstein* probably has a more more classic, more re- reputed reputation, but uh, I just love Karloff and Lugosi and and Rathbone and and Atwell and and all the great sets and the. Really, the wonderful performance by Bela Lugosi as Igor. You,
0: you know, it seems like lately I've talked with more people who prefer Sun to Bride. Not that there, anybody says anything bad about Bride. I mean, yeah. Bride's a masterpiece. It's awesome. I've been talking with a lot of people lately who who seem to really like Sun, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it's, so be it, it's a great film. So, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just thinking, And either, either way, there's no right or wrong answer on the Classic Five. It's just a fun conversation. Card number two, oh, Hammer Films or Universal? Oh, that's a real tough one.
8: <laughs> oh gosh, um, because there's there's so many um, from both that I love so much. But I really got started on the Universal films. The original Frankenstein was really the first classic horror film I ever saw and I watched a, a whole bunch of the universals after that before I started getting into hammer so i I think I'm just gonna lean slightly towards
0: Universal That was my journey too so I totally <laughs> understand I think and I think the Universal were a little bit more readily available to people yes. um, you know in our age group and our demographic with having an access to VHS and DVD and because of Hammer's distribution deals, you're never going to get that Hammer box set. Totally understand. All right, card number three, and this is from the new deck. Which do you prefer, the original Gojira or the American Godzilla King of the Monsters? That's interesting,
8: because I I just recently watched the original Gojira on TCM. I had only seen Godzilla King of the Monsters before. I have to say, I, I really do prefer the Japanese language version. It just involves you more in the story, and I know... Raymond Burr's uh, appearance was, was filmed to to try and make it more relatable to American audiences. But it's just great filming by Shiro Honda. And it's really not just a classic horror film, but a classic film period, in the, especially in the Japanese language version.
0: It's fascinating to me that they're uh, so different, yet they come from the same source material. I don't know. It's just... They're fun to watch, both of them. I love them both. I don't know how I would answer that question. So. Okay, I'll, I'll go with you for this summer. Was that card number three? That was card number three, wasn't it? I think so. All right, so card number four. Oh, it's another kaiju card. Question. What is your favorite non toho kaiju? Oh, non toho
8: I don't think I've seen as many kaiju films as I should by now, but I would say I would lean towards the original uh Dye Mission. I got the chance to... Uh, see that a year or two ago and and I was just captivated by it. Have
0: you seen the other two as well? No, I have not seen the other two yet. They're all good. In different ways, but they're all good. Yeah. No, it's that's, that's a solid one. I was just talking about that with somebody the other day. That was huh. Something I do want to talk about here on the show in the future. All right, final question, final card. Who else should have played Frankenstein's Monster?
8: That's an interesting one. You might have asked this question before on a on a podcast I was listening to and I was trying to think what, what I would answer. And I think my answer would be John Carradine. I just think that with his angular face and his height, and he might've been a less a less beefy monster to, to be certain, but I think it would've been very interesting to see him in that role. And I think he could've done something with it.
0: Wow. I'm just trying to imagine it. That's, God, he was so skinny and kind of, like you said, kind of angular, kind of, mm-hmm. huh. Wow. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. I like it. All (laughs) right. John Carradine, the Frankenstein monster. Excellent. So that was the Classic Five. How do you feel, Tim? Oh, I feel great. Energized. All right. You survived. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) One of these days, I got to make these cards available to the public somehow. I'll do it some way. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so we are here to talk about the most dangerous game, which for a long time, I really struggled is this a horror movie it's not a traditional monster movie by no means and yeah it was set on the or shot on the sets of king kong so you know you've got Faye ray and you've got you know showed well showed was he involved in this one well either way cooper's involved with it and so is it a horror movie is it not you know what after watching it on blu-ray the other day I, i think i finally decided yes it is and and we've got to talk about it here on the show, it's an iconic story. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those stories that I think a lot of people ended up reading in high school or junior high school in, in their English class. Stories like this and the Man of the Tiger and all these other kinds of stories that you end up reading growing up. And wow, uh this this film, the Blu Ray that I have, I haven't seen the movie in a while. The Blu Ray that I have just made it feel like a brand new film to me. I I really enjoyed it. What is your background or experience with this film?
8: Well, I had um, first discovered it several years ago. It had to have been back in the early nineties when I had read about um, how they had filmed it on the King Kong sets. And I just became fascinated. I'm like, I have to find this movie. And I mean, the next day I went into a Best Buy and It was just when DVDs were first coming out, and I looked at the shelves and and I said, oh my gosh, they have this movie on DVD. It was the Criterion disc, which is an excellent disc. And so I picked it up and, and I watched it and I fell in love with it. It has a great score from Max Steiner. It has Leslie Banks in one of the great villain roles of all time, as far as I'm concerned, you have Faye Ray, you have Cooper and Shohatzak producing it, Shohatzak co-directing it. It's short, but it moves like gangbusters.
0: It's just a wonderful film. Were you familiar with the short story it was based on before you saw the film? Yes, yes,
8: I read it in English class. <laughs> just uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people did, and um, I'm trying to remember. I think we were assigned a, a task of of making a sequel to the story, and I don't I don't remember what I wrote. I know I wrote something. But I had forgotten about the film for the longest time after I had read the short story. I knew that there had been a movie adaptation. I don't think I had been able to to track it down at that time. But when I discovered it on D V D it brought back all those memories and I think it improves on the on the short story so much, it takes it to different levels. It it adds in the characters that that are played by Fay Wray and Robert Armstrong and, and really turns it into an exciting movie, which is, for my buck, one of the the best horror films of the uh, early 1930s.
0: It's a pre-code film, so there is a level of intensity to this movie that you don't get with later, even adventure films of the 30s. There is blood. There are severed heads. This thing is nuts. (laughs) For for 1932, Mm -hmm. I, I, I... jaw on the floor the first time I saw this and and saw The Trophy Room. I'm like, whoa, what am I seeing here? Because you don't expect that from a black and white adventure film. You just don't. And when you realize it's pre-code and and, they get away with certain things, still it's a little mind-blowing to think that they actually thought to put that in. The thing is that there was originally a much lengthier
8: trophy room sequence in which you got to see more severed heads and, and that sort of thing, and, uh, and apparently uh, test audiences were so shocked and horrified that they were walking out of the theater, uh, so that they had to cut it down in the same way that they had to cut the spider sequence in, in King Kong. It was just too much for the audience to take at that time.
0: Of course, we we all love that footage now. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. It makes me wonder what Cooper and company were, you know, were thinking when you know, they've got the thirty-two film. They've got to cut something out. They've got King Kong and thirty-three. They've got to cut something out. Like just ahead of their time. I don't know, but that's just amazing to me. Now, this story has been adapted repeatedly. I mean, everybody from Ice T and Rutger Hauer to Jean Claude Van Damme. To <laughs> <laughs> to to Faye Ray have been in adaptations. I've seen a handful of different adaptations. I don't know. Is this the first time it was adapted for film? Do you know? I'm pretty sure it was.
9: I,
8: okay. I don't think there was a were any prior adaptations. There, of course, have been a whole lot of them. 1945's Game of Death is the the first time they tried to remake it, and then there there have been a bunch since then. But the the interesting thing is most of the the remakes have. Changed the character names and, and tried to put in new wrinkles and, and really haven't been that faithful to the short story.
0: Whereas this one is
8: probably more faithful, although there's a lot of differences.
0: Yeah, the Fay Wray and Robert Armstrong characters, they were added for this film, weren't they? Yes, they were. Originally, the short story starts basically finds
8: our hero, a man named Rainsford, who is, who is stranded on this island of uh, General Zaroff who is a Russian general who has pretty much gone mad and is, and is hunting people like you would hunt animals. And in this film, they introduce Fay Ray and Robert Armstrong as brother and sister, a, a couple who have earlier been shipwrecked by the count. And this introduces the count's obsession with first hunting the animal and then the woman, which we can go into in a, uh, a little bit deeper later but it it adds a a different dynamic to the story uh, where rainsford's not only trying to to save his life he's trying to save the character played by uh Faye ray from the
0: evil are off Yeah, like i said i hadn't seen this movie in, in so long and when i did watch the blu-ray the other day i i had mixed feelings about Faye ray's presence through the entire film i just kept thinking oh she's gonna throw she's gonna slow him down but I don't think we really ended up with a lot of that. I, I was pretty impressed. And you know, just her as an actress and Robert Armstrong, I mean, he blew me away in this. I know there's been some criticism in some circles about Robert Armstrong's ability as an actor because they see him in something like King Kong and then Mighty Joe Young, and he's practically the same guy, even though he's different characters. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you really want to see Robert Armstrong play broad, near-comedy, I, he just was fun to watch in this thing. I mean, he's a drunk, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the things that he says and the way he acts, and as he progressively gets more and more drunk through the scene, I wanted more Robert Armstrong. I, I was disappointed when he left the story.
8: It's 180 degrees away from King Kong and Son of Kong and, and oh, yeah. Mighty Joe Young. Like we said, he's the brother of, of the Faye Ray character. His name is Martin Trowbridge. And he's having the time of his life... <laughs> uh, because because the count keeps liquor um, <laughs> well stocked on the island, and this was filmed during prohibition, so so there's a little bit of a of a uh, illicit feel to him being able to to drink all this liquor, and and at the start of the movie he's kind of just getting started on his drinking, and and he becomes more drunk and more drunk through the scene, and until the end where he's referring to Zaroff, who's count Zaroff in this version. Old county, old pal, old buddy. <laughs> so it's it, it's just it's just <laughs> hilarious. And and if you've only seen Robert Armstrong as as the brass showman, this is a totally
0: different character. That was a good Robert Armstrong, by the way. That was, that was good. That was good. He just progressively gets worse and worse and worse. And yeah, it was Prohibition, and I think Cooper was. I don't know if he was a full-on teetotaler, but he was not a fan of the booze, so I I can't help but wonder if this was a scene that was built to kind of show just the ridiculousness of drinking alcohol and and just man he's just fun to, he's a joy yes he, is. he wasn't on set very long i'm sure but man so good and then he, of course he would come back for king kong son of kong mighty joe young i need to see more robert armstrong films i think i think that's something i need to fill in the blanks in my movie viewing collection because you know i don't have anything else to watch i need to watch more, <laughs> more robert armstrong films right i love him in the the mad ghoul too where he's playing that um oh yeah that's right report. yeah he's great no, he's, he's great he is re- he's really good in that all right, you know we're kind of dancing around a few things in the film, but but I can't go any further unless we talk about Zaroff, mm-hmm. because Leslie Banks is easily one of the most delightfully delicious villains in the nineteen thirties in this film. Does this, this guy? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I was quite engaged and riveted and scared of this guy all at the same time. I knew he was bad news the minute he showed up on screen, just the kind of way he carries himself and presents himself and the speak, the way he speaks. Terrifying guy. Do you know much about Leslie Banks or the character at all?
8: He was born in Liverpool, England, and he uh, was brought up as a uh, stage actor. From what I understand, he was uh, he gained some prestige in that. And the most dangerous game is his first real, uh, starring role apparently oh. he he had some wow. some part in a 1921 silent film that has been lost but uh, this was really his, his starring role and from here on in he he appeared in a in a bunch more films one of the most interesting things about uh, leslie as an actor is that in world war one he was wounded and half his face was paralyzed So when you look at him on screen, uh, his left eye is so much larger and almost bulges out at you. And you don't notice it at the start of the film because they're filming him from his other side. But as they progress, you get to see more and more of that. And there are just some great close-ups of him, especially when uh, they use light and shadow to to really up the menace of this, this guy who just looks... So, so unsettling, especially when he's got this maniacal dialogue that's coming
0: to you from this, this face that just seems strange and weird. And some of that dialogue, oh, when he's talking about how he can't enjoy the pleasure of a woman until he's done hunting. I mean, that's just, oh, wow, dude, (laughs) dial it back, man. Yeah, yeah, because that that is pretty intense and, and so good. And his performance man he's just i this is going to turn into the leslie banks appreciation hour here if i'm not careful because what a fantastic character and i had read that too about you know the injuries he received in the war i tried to look for that in the film and i I didn't really notice it like so on the surface Mm -hmm. if you really start to watch though you can see like you said they shoot from one side when he's a little more benevolent Mm -hmm. and then as he starts to turn they tend to shoot from the other side and It's a masterful performance using everything that he's got. I'd be terrified of that guy. I'd just flat out terrified. And I wish he made more genre pictures. I don't think he did a lot of genre work, did he?
8: I know he made one more that's kind of a borderline uh, mystery horror film called Chamber of Horrors that came out in in 1940, in which he played a very similar character, but by no means the great character that that Zaroff was. That was really just about it. He he appeared in a couple of Hitchcock films. This is really his his greatest contribution to the genre. You
0: know, we're talking about the cast. I want to talk about somebody else in the cast as well. That I mean, I know we end up seeing a lot of blackface performances in pre-code films. We've got a whiteface performance in this. We've got Noble Johnson, who we've seen in movies like King Kong, in The Mummy. Mm-hmm. And he's playing a Cossack in this film, <laughs> heavily made up. I, I didn't realize it was him until I learned about it later. And that's just, wow, I, I love having Noble Johnson around. I liked him a lot in things like The Mummy and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, the- and I guess he turned up in a version of this film later or this story being adapted later on with A Game of Death as well somewhere. So.
8: Yeah, the thing about uh, a Game of Death is it was made by the same studio RKO and ah okay. They relied heavily on on footage from the 1932 version to the extent that they even costumed all the characters the same way that they're in this movie. And when I when I first saw that, I was like Really? (laughs) You're going to remake the film and use all this footage from it? Uh, So I've always been a little disappointed in that version. And it it was directed by Robert Wise, so it had a great director behind it. But but it, it was just disappointing to me and and this film is is so much better
0: huh at least in my opinion i don't think i've seen game of death i will eventually watch it i mean i love watching these John, even if it's not a flat-out genre film i love watching classic cinema anyway so one of these days i'll i'll check that out but just to have noble johnson this african-american actor Totally made up to look like a a, a European. So I like, <laughs> like really? Wow. Okay then. Well, I mean, he's fun to watch, and you know, we talked about Robert Armstrong. We got to talk about the lead though, Joel McCrae. I think, for my money, I liked him, but in terms of the cast, he's kind of the one I. I don't know. He wasn't as strong as the rest for me. Uh, it's a blasphemy to say that about the lead of this film.
8: And this was really early in his career, and he became a leading man in a, a number of other films. I remember seeing him in Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent and and enjoying him in that. This one, again, he was just getting his career started. He's working with a lot of people who are working on a whole n- another movie at the same time. For me, I, I think it's a good performance. I think he could be a little stronger in some areas. But I also think that for being so early in his career, I think it's understandable that it's it's not as solid a portrayal as it could possibly be,
0: and I still enjoy him in it. Oh, yeah. I still enjoy him, too, and I, and I hope listeners don't get the impression that I'm saying I don't. I just feel like in terms of strength of character, he's not... On the same level as the rest of them. I mean, He's still a great lead. I mean, he's got that leading man swagger. He's got the charisma. You, you look him up on the internet and you're going to find plenty of pictures of him wearing a cowboy outfit. I mean, he looks like he was meant to play Westerns. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's good. He's, he is solid. And he wouldn't have worked with people like Hitchcock down the line, Foreign Correspondent, if not for that. That was a Hitchcock film, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. it was. He's fine. I just feel like, in terms of the rest, he does kind of shrink a little bit or kind of fall into the background. Now, some of that's by design because fairy does take him off to a corner mm-hmm. while the Count is playing piano. And they do have that scene in the background, which, again, this film, 1932, it is so breathtaking and mind blowing. The things they do in terms of the pacing, the editing, the camera placement, the camera shots. You know, we, we have a lot of things happening in the background versus the foreground. We've got traveling camera movements that you don't see in films from just a year earlier in Hollywood history. It's just phenomenal filmmaking.
8: One of the most impressive things, uh, especially if you've watched a lot of early sound films, is the use of sound in this picture. Obviously, Dracula and Frankenstein had been done, and they use sound in some impressive ways as well. But you never get the sense that anyone's huddling around a microphone. There's sound effects that they put in to add some menace to the storyline. And the, the actors are never bound by the microphone. There's a lot of innovative camera angles and movement. I mean, there's this great pan from all the way at the top of the, the staircase in Zaraf's castle where Fay Wray is zooming down into a close-up of Zaroff and his his unsettling face, and it's 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 just wonderful. Accompanied by the proper musical flourish to, to let us know, this is not a nice guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they did give us a couple of moments like that, didn't they? Where they just really wanted to make sure we got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the camera work in his home and then once he get out into the jungle as well there's a number of traveling camera shots and a few shots that made me think hey that's king kong but still i mean this is the way the camera works and, and the placement uh, the direction on this really solid and big surprise showed involved in that and i think he's an underrated director when you think about genre or even just classic cinema the, the man had an eye for the camera for sure uh, it was co-directed with somebody named Irving... Irving Irving Pichel, who you
8: probably remember as Sandor in Dracula's Daughter. I know him as an actor, I, he's,
0: and he's got a great look, so... Sandor, what do you see in my eyes? This. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So... Um, I,
8: he he was an actor and he he became a director early on. He um, he co-directed this film. He also co-directed She, which was another Cooper Showitzak uh, production, the nineteen thirty-five version with uh, Randolph Scott and Nigel Bruce. He later was hired by Twentieth Century Fox and and made quite a few films for them. But then he became a um, a victim of the Hollywood blacklist and had trouble finding work. But then he got together with George Powell, and directed Destination Moon, which is, of course, a, a great early science fiction film.
0: Oh, it's fantastic. It's actually one of my favorites. I love that film. It's a shame. Uh, you know, that's something, uh, uh, an era of film that I feel like is probably the, the biggest black mark on a lot of Hollywood history, is that blacklist and everything that happened then. And, I mean, I could go off, this could turn into a completely different <laughs> kind of podcast if we keep talking about that. But, yeah, what happened to a lot of people during that time is... is pretty terrible and you know at least we've got the films that he did do and uh co-directing this film uh now to look back and enjoy and appreciate and respect i didn't realize that he was involved that that had happened to him
8: yeah apparently he had made a movie that was very critical of the nazi regime in in the early 1940s before uh the u.s became involved in the war and so that's what got him on their list because they thought he might have been a communist sympathizer, even though he hadn't, hadn't, um, didn't have communist friends or anything like that, like they did with, oh, with, um, like other people they investigated. So, that's what put him on the list, and, and unfortunately, it was uh, it really hurt his career. But again, we're so grateful that we have the films that we have with him in
0: Sure. Sure. You know, we've talked a lot about the cast and we've talked a little bit about the production, but I don't know if we've really talked too much about the story and it's not that deep. I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's something that if Van Dam and Ice-T can make <laughs> versions of the story, it's not super deep. Overall, just kind of broad strokes. It's a guy who's hunting humans. He he is a hunter and he is bored with hunting animals and through his machinations he's able to bring a guy to his island and set him loose in the jungle and if he can live through the night or what's it through sun up sunrise or dawn he will stop hunting him and will let him get off the island and he's done this repeatedly before with other people and nobody has survived he's always brought him down and we wouldn't have a movie if it didn't turn out a different way this time around for for our guys and i don't think that uh, the good count really had any intention of letting him get off the island alive even if he did survive till dawn Uh, by coincidence the guy that he brings to the island happens to be a well-known hunter himself an author uh, an expert in the field so he gets really excited about trying to hunt this guy down
8: and he's played by Joel McRae. His name is um, Bob Rainsford. They changed his his name. It was Sanger Rainsford in the original short story. Just like they oh, really? changed uh, General Zaroff to Count Zaroff. There's an early scene in the film where Bob is aboard ship with a bunch of his friends, and and they're recounting his his hunting prowess. And there's an exchange when they look at a uh, a photo of of Bob hunting a tiger and Bob explains that it was just as much sport for the tiger that as it was for him. And they find this hard to believe. And they say, well, well, would you switch places with the tiger? And he said, that's something I'm never going to have to worry about. And then that's when their ship crashes. <laughs> so it's it's uh, a, <laughs> it's a terrifying, but a humorous moment at the same time, because it's like the filmmakers are saying, okay, we know you're, Why you're here. You know what's going to happen. So let's have a little bit of fun with that.
0: Now, I know it was a different time, but Cooper and Shotzak, their previous films, before they really got, I mean, King Kong kind of made their name in Hollywood and history, really. But before that, they had made movies like Chang and Grass. And there has been some criticism for how the animals are treated in those films. And they were shot away from Hollywood, they were shot in nature. And Yeah, I mean, I've read a few things here and there about things that were done and and things that had happened to the animals. And as an animal lover myself, I do kind of cringe a little bit, but then I also have to realize it was a different time. And some of the things that are said about animals and hunting animals in this, if you are an animal lover, you, you might cringe just a touch. But again, keep in mind, it's the 30s, different era. And I feel like it came real close to getting a little preachy almost but it didn't quite go there. So, I mean, it's just, just a little hiccup in the story for anybody who might be interested in checking it out or, or have those feelings. Uh, the boat going down, now that's not in the original story either, right? That's completely I, fabricated I so. for the film.
8: Uh, originally, the film had a had a much higher budget and they were going to do a, a very lengthy sequence in, in which the um, they set up Rainsford and kind of his motivations and that sort of thing. Then their budget was cut in half and Sho and Sack, apparently, went to work editing the script, trying to change and tighten things up so that they could make the film on a much lesser budget. And so what we have is is pretty much maybe a three-minute sequence before uh, Bob makes it onto the island, but it's great. It starts with the, the captain of the ship noticing the, the channel that they need to pass through, which is marked by a couple of light beacons. It doesn't look quite right because the the lights are not in the exact same spot as they are on their charts. They explain this to their passengers and and Rainsford is is seriously thinking of that they should go way around but the the owner of the boat doesn't want to do that, and and so they they charge on through, and and of course it's a trap that's been set by Zara.
0: And I like how he plays coy about whether or not he was the one who was responsible for the shipwreck, and just so it's a coincidence that there's another shipwreck not too long ago, and these two people survived, and their sailors survived. <laughs> uh, you knew uh, pretty much as soon as you saw Zara and, and the first time you heard him speak, you knew he was the one that was responsible for it. The, the shipwreck, the, the downing of the ship, I mentioned there was a shark. There's blood. There's a shark attack. I had forgotten about that, actually, when I watched it this time around, and I, I had to check myself, because I'm sitting here watching in the living room early in the morning, my wife's still in bed, and that <laughs> happened, and I was like, what? You know, I didn't even make sure. Keep it down, man, because that, wow, that, that shocked me quite a bit, and I'm sure it was stock footage of a shark, just the way they kind of put it together, though, the editing again, very sophisticated to make it all work. I was not expecting that, and to see the <laughs> guy actually get pulled under, wow. That really speaks to everything that Shodzak and his crew did to put
8: just peril after peril after peril for for their characters to go through. In addition to that scene with the sharks and all the the hunting scenes with Zaroff, there's also people throwing knives. There's hunting dogs. There's the the trophy room scene with, with all the severed heads. That's why I think of this film and it's more of a horror film than, than an adventure just because they're throwing so much at us and the, the audience has to be going like, yikes.
0: <laughs> and, and they didn't look bad either. I mean, for 1930 special makeup effects technology, hey, it, it worked. The the heads on the walls in the trophy rooms, that that worked. Here's something that I really appreciated about this film, though. And this, I believed happened in the trophy room mm-hmm. the first time we get in there. Faye Ray, I think... A lot of people know her as a scream queen, right? She screams all the time, that sort of thing. She didn't scream. (laughs) When she saw those heads, yeah, she had that reaction, but she didn't start screaming and blow their cover right off the bat. And that... I found very yes. impressive and refreshing because of the era. And again, because of the label that she has as a screen queen, I thought it was fantastic.
8: That was a great moment. And I don't think I would have been able to let loose the screen. If I bumped into um, <laughs> a, a tank that had a floating, the decomposed human head in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, and then of course, uh, Zaroff and his men come in and they grab her and they carry her upstairs. And she screams. Then it, it, it is, it is a, just a wonderful scene. And the fact that she doesn't scream right away, really, really makes it even more chilling. And the audience is kind of holding their breath, just like her character is holding hers.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very well done, very sophisticated. I really enjoyed it and appreciated it. And, you know, the more that we talk here, the more I'm really in love with her in this film, the way that she is trying so hard to communicate to Bob during that uh, scene where they're all in like a, I don't know what room it was, whatever the, Mm. the parlor and she spills the drink and she's trying to communicate. Oh, what about the danger? You know, (laughs) that's, it could be taken as a little over the top, but on the other hand, I really liked it. And I appreciated that she's a female character asserting some control over the situation and trying to help this guy out, not just being the victim. I really appreciated that.
8: We should mention that, unlike King Kong, she's not blonde in this film. Her hair's the normal color. I I don't know if it was um, a reddish brown or or just a dark brown.
0: Gray. It's dark gray
8: in this film. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's what we have to go by, right? Right. Uh, She's in a very lovely evening gown. She's just beautiful in this film. And there really isn't a romance played up between her and Rainsford, which is kind of refreshing. I agree. I agree. That's what we would obviously expect. But the two of them are basically just trying to get off the island and they're trying to save each other's lives. And that's really their main focus.
0: And again, uh, refreshing. You don't have the forced love angle, which is really nice because that could just kind of get in the way of what turns into this dark adventure. The traps that the guy sets for everybody, and, and, you know, every time he sets a trap in the in the jungle for Zaroff to try to, you know, stop him, it's just heartbreaking because they never work. <laughs> yeah. But Ivan does suffer, I suppose, does succumb to one of them, which, again, brutal. Again, is 1932, but a brutal death. Man, in the dogs, and... Uh... I'm really in love with this movie. Now you told me this is your all time favorite film. Oh yes, it is.
8: I just love it. And I actually watched it with some friends recently and we were talking about uh, the, the sets in King Kong. And I said, and you like this better than King Kong? And I'm like, yeah. Wow. I love King Kong. I love Willis O'Brien's work. I love the way that the film is staged. I love the performances. Um, but I love this film even more. Obviously, Leslie Banks is is a terrific villain, and the the role he's given is a role that that would have been worthy of a of a Karloff, of a Lugosi. It's that great a role, and I think one of the the things I most love about the movie is the score by Max Steiner, who who also did King Kong, of course, and and all those great Humphrey Bogart movies, um, Casablanca and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. One of the great things about Max Steiner is he had such a talent for taking a main theme and using it in different ways throughout the score for scenes that required uh, a different use of the music. What I mean is basically you have this main theme, which in the film goes like, bum, 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 bum. And Zaroff even plays it as a waltz on the piano at one point but whenever it needs to be menacing they'll they'll slow down the tempo they'll bring it down an octave so that when rainsford is first approaching Zaroff's castle it's bom, 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 bom. you get the idea and right then when we go to the to the chase the climactic chase near the end of the movie they ratchet up the tempo and it's Bum, bum 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 it's just a wonderful use
0: of music and and that's why i really love this score listeners are probably waiting for me to talk about how much i love film music uh, <laughs> <laughs> i know it's kind of become cliche at this point but man i love my film scores and steiner is somebody who i think in some circles gets a ton of respect, but in other circles probably doesn't get enough. You talk about the themes and we see that or more appropriately, hear that today with the films uh, I'm going to go to somebody like John Williams you know he he has very specific themes that he'll work into various parts of the score you know and each character has his own moment that sort of thing Steiner was doing this back in the 30s I mean to to create this theme and then to be able to play or create different motifs on these themes to create the score. Max Steiner's work is mind-blowing. It's groundbreaking. I appreciate that. A lot of this music is available today on CD, typically packaged with something like King Kong or something like that, uh, which, again... Wonderful score. <laughs> you know. Whenever somebody says Max Steiner, I, I hear King Kong in my head. <laughs> I, I, I just I can't. But he's so, so much more than that. I mean, he did stuff like Come With the Wind and he said Casablanca. And um, the man was a genius. And man, I don't have enough Max Steiner in my iPod. I'm going to have to correct that when we're done recording. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great score. It really is. And just even the way the movie starts with his music kicking in and then close up of that door with the arrow sticking in that little guy. Yeah. Now, you said you have this on the Criterion DVD. Have you seen it on Blue? I have not. I
8: know that there, there's a um, a Flickr Alley version, but I actually just made the upgrade to uh, Blu-ray recently. So I have not had a chance to see it on Blue, but but I imagine it looks spectacular.
0: Like I said, I, I completely forgot. I, had, and I just felt like a brand new movie when I watched it. And the Blu-ray, it, it comes with a double feature of a movie called Gal the Headhunter, which is not a <laughs> cooper film uh it, it's more of a straight up adventure kind of one of these nature docu adventure drama things uh as far as special features on the blu-ray itself we do have an audio essay about the film uh, well each film has one actually and then there's a little audio uh, a little bit a collection of audio clips of cooper giving interviews not necessarily about the most dangerous game just kind of overall and in this bit you do hear him get rather defensive when people accused him of making documentaries before he made things like most dangerous or, theme or king kong they weren't documentaries they were nature adventures he was like, okay <laughs> which is true he did kind of stage a lot of that stuff i mean that was the era of Nanook of the north which is not even though it's billed as it is not a documentary so and just that era of filmmaking and and his story cooper's story alone somebody needs to make a biopic Oh, yes, most definitely. The man's life was, uh, you know, every adventure film he ever made then times two, just everything that he did with the war and flying and everything else and then all the Hollywood work. Just amazing stuff. Listeners, I know that we've talked a lot about this movie in terms of, you know, who's in it and why we like it. If you haven't seen this film because it's not a quote unquote monster movie, you are so missing out. And, you are on some of the sets of King Kong when you're in the jungle. There's that one bit where they're crossing the log. (laughs) Yes. It's like, that's, that's King Kong. You better hurry up. Kong's coming, you know? And there's an awful lot. uh, I think you mentioned this
8: earlier, but there's an awful lot of, uh, of shots in the film that they reused in King Kong. There's a scene where Zaroff is running after Bob Rainsford and Eve Trowbridge. We see their perspective shot running through the leaves of the jungle as they're trying to, move past them and the camera focuses in on Zara office he's doing the same thing and it's a wonderful shot. And there's even a shot late in the film, but I won't do any spoilers, but may well have influenced
0: another shot in King Kong. So <laughs> that ladies and gentlemen is what we call a tease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you're absolutely right. It is something that well, you just can't help but think of King Kong. I mean, you're in the jungle for crying out loud, and there's a lot of shots in here that just It's a beautiful film. It's a beautiful one. Was it it was shot by the same team, wasn't it, cinematography wise? No, it was not. Um, oh really?
8: It was a different cinematographer, which makes that a little more surprising. But Henry Girard was the man who worked on this and he actually died two years after the movie was released. And I think he was only in his 30s, so I presume it must have been some sort of an accident or something of that nature. This film is is a great body of work for him, and it's it's a shame uh, he had that tragic end. Even though he didn't photograph King Kong, he obviously provided a, a template that they did look at and try to emulate at least somewhat.
0: I had no idea. I'm kind of mind-blown by that, because it feels like... The same cinematographer, the same director of photography did the same thing. That's that's fascinating. Obviously, you've got somebody like Shodzak who was, of the two, I feel like the better photographer uh, between him and Cooper. So you've got him involved in, in both. So, of course, you're going to have some of that. But, huh, I had no idea. Well, like I said, listeners, you got to see this film. It's so good. And Tim's seen a lot of movies. I mean, it, to call this his favorite film, and that, that gives it a high praise, Tim is the man behind a couple of different blogs, viewing the classics.blogspot.com and classicsonthetube.blogspot.com. You'll look at those, and yeah, you'll see he's seen a lot of film and TV. <laughs> and to include this, or to put this as number one, I mean, that says something right there. I have to tell you, it's probably one of my favorite movies that I've watched this year, even though it is... A repeat viewing for me. I have to put it right up there too. It's just a fresh take on a story that, you know, I keep going back to Van Damme and Ice Tea. I just, <laughs> <laughs> it is nothing like Hard Target or Surviving the Game. And, and as much as I love Rutger Hauer, he is no Leslie Banks. Okay, I'm just gonna say, <laughs> 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 have you seen other versions of the films? I mean, I keep talking about these other two, but I mean, it's been done on TV, on the radio. Have you seen other versions of it? I've seen on television a, a bunch of
8: takeoffs on the story. I, I think I remember a Get Smart episode and and maybe even a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> I haven't seen too many of the, the other films outside of a, a Game of Death, but I think there's a wonderful book out. At least I've seen it advertised on on Amazon that Michael Price has written on not just the original short story and this film, but all the other other films that have burst out of the story or, or the original film. So I'm looking to, uh, to try and pick that up and, and read some more because this is obviously just a really great part of my
0: uh, entertainment of cinema that, that I want to keep exploring. (laughs) Is this your creature from the black lagoon? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I I think so. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Which I can connect to this film if I try really hard, but you know, well, but actually, I don't have to try very hard at all. Joel McRae was in The Hollywood Story in 1951, which also featured Julie Adams. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> See, it all comes back to Creature for me. suppose if we tried hard enough, though, we could probably connect everything back to this for you. It's an important film. It's early in Hollywood genre filmmaking. And you mentioned the sound earlier. I mean, just the sound alone makes it stand aside from a lot of these other films. I highly recommend it. Clearly, you do as well. What's on the Criterion disc? Is it something that I should pick up?
8: There's an informative audio commentary by uh, film historian Bruce Eder. Okay. And he, he really goes into depth in the background and talks about how the budget was slashed and and a lot of the uh, things that, that Showitzak did, such as timing scenes with a stopwatch and, and refilming them if he thought he could do it in less time in the idea of making it exciting from an action point of view and also trying to um, keep it economical as as far as budget was concerned. Oh, wow. I had no idea. There's a lot of nice details. Some of the other things they talk about in the commentary is how Buster Crabb of the Buck Rogers serials was one of the people diving off the boat. And there's also some fascinating history about Bruce Cabot, the the actor who played the first mate in King Kong. and. Right. And he was considered for the role of Zaroff originally. originally. Uh, so, so that that's, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to see that, <laughs> but it, it's true. He was considered.
0: I, I, um, no, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't see that at all. I mean, Leslie banks is fantastic. I can't see anybody other than him playing that role. One of the things that I most (laughs) love, it's just such a tiny
8: little detail. Zorov, when we first see him, he's wearing this tuxedo. He's this elegant and and debonair character. And one of the things you don't notice unless you look pretty hard in the close-up is he's got this oversized
0: ring with a big Z on it. And I I just love that. (laughs) says a lot about the character right there, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it
8: does.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad we were able to do this, and I'm glad you kind of motivated me and prompted me to take another look at this film and talk about it here on the show. I think people will enjoy it if we have, well... I mean, come on, it's not a story that we could really spoil, per se. You know how it's going to end, otherwise we wouldn't have had a story here at all, but it's it's really, really good. It's very well done. The performances are great, the direction, the score. I mean, this is like I said, one of my favorite films that I've seen so far this year. Granted, it's only May, but still, I think it's going to be right up there. And I would pick up the Blu-ray, but it sounds like I need to pick up the DVD as well, just to get some of these extra little perks here and there. So hello, Amazon wish list.
8: <laughs> we should mention that the the film is in the public domain, so it is widely available for, for those who might not be able to to afford a Criterion Disc or a Blu-ray. You can probably even find it on YouTube somewhere. So there's no reason not to see this movie, and uh, I'm telling you to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Tim Durbin says watch the movie, so you better do it. <laughs> All right Tim so I mentioned the websites viewing this is your take on on classic cinema I, you're, a, you're a fan of classic movies i can tell just briefly perusing all this and you know as of this recording let's see what's on top right here the Innocence, Ghidra, godzilla versus the thing the black cat i mean come on these are <laughs> some great great films that you've got listed here and then classics on the tube is this vintage television
8: Yes, vintage television. I, I'm writing about Star Trek episodes and the Outer Limits. Uh, we've got some of uh, Peter Cushing Sherlock Holmes series in there. I just love movies from this era, from this era, from the uh, 20s going all the way through the 60s and beyond. My I brother. Just wanna, I just <laughs> want to watch it all. Put my thoughts out there. Uh, connect with other Monster Kids. I love to write. I, I I don't get as much time as I I would like to write. Got a busy life. I've got a job and a family, but um, I'm also trying to write a novel that I think would have, would be of interest to, to monster kids about a a seaside community that has a a Loch Ness type monster in it. So I'm hopeful that I'll be able to get that completed and and published one day. I hope it's good enough. Those are my real passions these days.
0: Well, I think I just found a new good friend here in Tim. He loves classic cinema, classic TV, and he's writing that they, there you go. No wonder we got along for the past hour and a half. Oh, it's, it's been a a real pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm so, uh, so happy
8: and that I, I was able to come on and, and do this and I had a great time.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. We'll definitely have you back on down the line and listen, I'll make sure there's links in the show notes to the two sites. Uh, that i mentioned the classics on the tube and viewing the classics they're fun reads and the way he writes his reviews they don't go on and on and on i mean they're nice capsule reviews that gives you a real sense for what they are i did see just recently he posted about the star trek episode man trap which hands down one of the best of the first season of star trek short sweet to the point but still very well written So listeners, check it out, please. Again, links in the show notes. And Tim, we'll have you back on the show down the line. And good luck with the novel. Okay. Thank you so much. Viewingtheclassics.blogspot.com and then classicsonthetube.blogspot.com. Those are the two websites that Tim writes. And I'm going to make sure there's links to these sites in the show notes. I really appreciate his point of view, his viewpoint, and the fact that he loves these movies as much as I do, as much as a lot of you do. Heck, maybe even more so when it comes to particular films. I I know there are some movies that he knows so much more about than I do, and I loved chatting with him about The Most Dangerous Game. I had a lot of fun watching it. Highly, highly recommended. And Tim, we'll make sure we'll have you back on the show in the future.
4: Famous monsters of Hollywood magazine names it Award Winner, the monster of Piedras Blancas. The monster of Piedras Blancas, the world's most shocking monster, stalks its unsuspecting prey, feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean, turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, such drawn by love to the forbidden cove of the sea monster, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. In the screen monsterama of a thousand incredible... See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas.
2: Nightmare terror from the tomb. An ancient curse comes to life to strangle the living and raise the dead. Here is the horror and the terror of a story that began in ancient Egypt.
1: Take Katobe! Take him!
2: When Bey, a son of Pharaoh, died in the desert and was covered in the shroud that bore the sacred power of life and
1: death. <laughs> What's he saying? He says that death awaits all who disturb the resting place of Kato Bay. Warning to every
2: creature of flesh and blood. Beware the beat of the cloth-wrapped feet. Beware the curse of the mummy's shroud. This is the leader of the British expedition who came in search of the tomb. <laughs> the rich and ruthless financier who believes money can bribe even the devil himself. This is the son who knows there is no escape.
3: Someone or or something is trying to destroy
2: us. I believe it will find us wherever we go. The wife and mother trapped by the mummy's shroud.
3: Ah, I see death.
2: This is Haiti, the crystal gazer who sees into the past and the terrifying future. This is the girl who's doomed, cursed by the mummy's shroud.
4: You mean I'm going to die? (laughs) In a few minutes from now.
2: (laughs) Kill her! dead a thousand years, now he lives and breathes to avenge an ancient curse, to strangle the living, praise the dead, and prey upon human flesh.
0: I typically record these shows ahead of time and I try to do most of my recording on the weekend. So last weekend I recorded with Scott Morris for an upcoming episode of monster kid radio, in which he and I are going to talk about the movie "It: the terror from beyond space. It was a fun conversation, but when we got done, I wanted to talk with him briefly about something else that recently happened. He hadn't heard about it yet. So I feel kind of bad for being the bearer of bad news. What we did chat about, I felt was timely enough to include in this week's episode of MKR. So here you go. So I'm actually going to put this into this week's episode. So just kind of a shout out to Adam West. Uh, you know, I know Batman is a thing. It's a big deal. Part of the franchise that DC's putting on the big screen and all that. But for a long time, my Batman was Adam West.
10: Oh, definitely.
0: And, uh, you know, big shout out to him. I did try to watch the Bat to the Back Cave movie they did on TV not too long ago. It was pretty tough to watch
10: i
5: watched it yeah
0: yeah it's not it's yeah um but watching adam west was always a blast yeah and he's obviously having fun with it Uh, my wife and i play the lego video games and to have him in some of the uh, justice league lego video games on the it was just fun to have his voice there
8: oh yeah
0: you know it's a comforting voice and from what i understand he's just a super nice guy so
8: and
5: if there's younger folks that Or listening to the show, you may not know him as Batman. You may know him as the mayor of Quahog or Quah. I never can pronounce the name of the city, that Family Guy is. And I I watched Family Guy, and I liked him on that as well.
0: I didn't realize that he was involved with that, but that makes perfect sense, because Seth MacFarlane is not necessarily as genre-minded as people like you and me, but he is also somebody who's more into like the retro and the classic entertainment, that sort of thing. And yeah, that totally makes sense that he would try to bring Adam West in.
8: Yeah, he he plays the mayor of Quahog, and I I liked him on there. I mean, he is my Batman. He's always been my Batman.
0: You've got the box set, don't you? Yes, I do. I need to get my hands on that still. I really do. Uh, I I like this from the, the press release that his family put out. Our dad always saw himself as the bright knight and aspired to make a positive impact on his fans' lives. I think that's super cool. I do too. Batman gets so dark and brooding and all that. There's just a, a pop fun to the original Batman TV series that he was involved with, and thank you, Adam West.
5: Yes, thank you. I I know what I'm going to be doing uh, the rest of the day is probably watching some episodes of Batman. Quick,
11: everyone, flee for your lives! Emergency, Batman speaking, warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy superlatives, Batman! It's really exciting. Soon, very
2: soon, Batman and I will be battle-pulting right out of your TV sets and onto your theater screens.
11: That's right, Robin. Our first full-length motion picture feature in color opens a whole new world of thrills. The big screen gives us more space on land sea and in the air to challenge the most bataclysmic collection of super criminals ever their minimum objective must be
7: the entire world
10: and here are the dastardly
2: villains the Catwoman.
1: Oh, you're
2: going to see the perfect crime when i get batman in my claws <laughs> The Joker. Have you heard this one? It'll kill you, Batman. (laughs) The Penguin. There are two eggs this wily bird is going to scramble, Batman and Robin. (laughs) The Riddler. Question, who's going to make the feathers fly and knock Batman and Robin out of the sky?
11: See, the new weapons in the Bat Arsenal combat the forces of evil. The batcopter, the exploding man-eating shark,
6: holy sardine,
11: the relentless megaton magnet, the unholy quartet secret submarine.
4: Fire one! Fire one!
11: The batboat in action. The deadly disintegrator. The attack on the Batcave.
2: Holy hallucination!
11: You'll blast through the skies (laughs) on these mad, manned missiles.
2: And you'll be with me, Robin, at the Bat Scanner, eavesdropping on Batman's romance.
1: And you'll shudder at the death-dealing Polaris missiles. Brace yourself,
11: Robin. This could be the end. And that's just a sample of the exciting exploits ahead in our first feature motion picture.
8: Holy memoranda,
2: folks. Make a note not to miss it.
11: Good thinking,
5: Robin.
0: do Robert Armstrong, Faye Ray, King Kong, The Invisible Man, Son of Dracula, Armand Tesla, Barbara Payton, Jack Arnold, and the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms all have in common? Well, they're all on the ballot for this year's monster kid radio monster rally retro awards the 2017 edition of the rally awards this year honors the best in genre cinema from 1933 43 and 53 and the ballot is still open the deadline for your ballot is june 30th 2017 once we get the winners determined here we'll do a special episode with stephen d sullivan coming back to announce the winners i would love to make sure your input is included in the ballot this year, so head over to tinyurl.com/rallies2017. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, so you can find it that way as well. Again, June 30th is the deadline, and I cannot wait to see who wins.
1: Why? Just to kill us? What is the usual reason an intelligent creature kills?
3: It's hungry?
4: What makes you so certain it's intelligent, Colonel, not just an animal?
1: It opened the door to see compartment. In the silent void of
7: outer space, puny man matches his cunning against a monster from Mars running rampant. ...howling for all the flesh and blood
12: on Earth. Well, Cindy, this is the last box. Supermates has now officially moved into Fire and Water Podcast Headquarters...
6: Where do you want this Starman short box?
12: Put it over by the classic monster DVDs. Be careful! Don't crush my superpowers Batmobile!
6: Calm down Christopher. Hey, you put the Star Trek DVDs on top of my comic action Wonder Woman Invisible Plane!
12: Oh, jeez! Well, now we can tell everyone that Supermates can be found Exclusively at FireAndWaterPodcast.com.
6: Now, if they subscribe via iTunes, they shouldn't notice a change, right?
12: Right. Or if they listen through the main Fire and Water network feed. No change. They can just find the show's home, show notes, etc. here at FireAndWaterPodcast.com.
6: Well, I'm going to go take a dip in the Aquaman-sized swimming pool Rob has, but I am not putting on that mirror costume. It smells fishy.
12: Oh, come on. It'll be fun. Hey, hey, don't trip over that life-size Shag Standy. <laughs>
6: That thing is disturbingly real.
12: Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast, now a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find us on iTunes or at fireandwaterpodcast.com.
0: Okay, I said there was a contest. Well, I'm holding in my hand right now. A physical copy of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack, written by Anthony Wendell. Anthony is a dear friend of Monster Kid Radio. I love having him on the show to talk about giant monsters and pretty much anything else he ever wants to talk about. Need to make that happen again here in the near future. Anyway, he wrote a book. It was released by Severed Press. It's 192 pages, and it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. It is a serious real world take on what it would take to survive a kaiju attack. So here's the contest. And this was actually Anthony's idea and I love it. I've been playing the promo off and on over the past several weeks for this book. I'm going to play it again here in a second. Well, in that promo, there are clips from three giant monster films. To win the book, you need to identify the three films from which the clips came email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com with your answer of the three films you're going to hear in the promo. I'm going to keep this contest open. I'm going to say for a couple of weeks because next week I'm going to monster bash and not going to have a lot of time to do most of the basic administrivia that I do around here in this trivia, Administri- you know what I mean? So the cutoff for this contest, we're going to say June 27th, get your email to me by then. And if I get more than one email with the correct answers, I'll, Print them all up on little slips of paper, put them in a big bucket or a hat or something, and draw out the winner. Thanks to Anthony for making a copy of this book available for us here on Monster Kid Radio. Well, actually, making it available to you. Good luck to everybody, and here's the promo.
11: How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy
10: strikes.
1: Human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. there's a big lizard back here and he's heading his way. Now get aboard!
11: It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters.
1: Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities countries off the face of the earth are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies
11: and what common mistakes people make while fighting back so pick up your copy of the handbook for surviving a giant monster attack by anthony wendell today on amazon you can thank us by surviving
7: our planet may be doomed our earth devastated the monsters are in revolt and civilization is in chaos Godzilla is laying waste to New York. Rodan is attacking Moscow. Manda is smashing London. And Peking trembles under the wrath of Mothra. Our battle cry must be, destroy all monsters. Who can say which country or city will be next? We must unite and destroy all monsters. (coughs) Is there a way to defend against Godzilla, Rodan, Manda, and Mothra? The answer is no. Let our battle cry be, destroy all monsters. Be prepared. See for yourself in color from American International. Destroy all monsters. Monster, 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 monster. This picture is rated G for general audiences. Destroy all monsters. Monster, 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 monster. Monster. <laughs> It's so scary, we dare you to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party, the first movie ever filmed in Horror Vision, Hollywood's latest miracle. You'll scream as fiendish movie monsters actually become alive, then crash right out of the screen, go into the audience and carry screaming girls from their seats right back into the picture to become part of the movie. We warn you, Horror Vision is not 3D. The movie monsters become real flesh and blood. Be sure to see The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party in Horror
11: Vision and color.
0: Okay, before I play this voicemail, I just want to cut in and say this voicemail it is going to be kind of our natural lead in to the portion of this episode in which we talk about the mumu the mumu the mummy. I'm going to leave that in. We're going to lead into talk about the mummy and the rest of the episode will pretty much be about that. So if you don't want to be spoiled, well, to quote my man Edward Van Sloan from the beginning of Frankenstein, We've warned you.
12: Hey, Derek, it's Chris Franklin from Supermates and other shows on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I uh, just wanted to call in and say I really enjoyed your talk with Nick Brown and Fiona Young. That cookbook sounds fantastic. Sounds like a lot of fun. It uh, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the D.C. cookbook uh, back from the 80s, the D.C. Superheroes cookbook, and I did one a few years back, too. Those Those things are always a lot of fun. And what's even crazier is I had no idea that Nick and Fiona were in my general vicinity around here, Uh, near Lexington, Kentucky, so uh, we probably passed each other at Lexington Comic Con and didn't even know it, so uh, I'll be on the lookout for them when I'm at things like that and see if I bump into them again, Um, or bump into them for the first time, I guess. Uh, When you're talking about the Dark Universe, yeah, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what The Mummy's about. Early word isn't good by the time this airs. People will know for sure. Um, You know, I think one thing they – you mentioned this in the episode, and I think one thing they really missed a beat on – was Larry Talbot. Larry Talbot, if you look at the Universal movies, if you consider the Monster Rallies and all the the different movies, Larry Talbot emerges as the protagonist of the movies, ultimately, right? I mean, he's the character that, that drives the Monster Rallies. And so I think that was uh, something that they really should have done with this dark universe, maybe the failure of the previous you know, 2010 Wolfman movie or whatever it was. Maybe maybe that's why they didn't go in that direction. But I think that would have been a better way to go. I gave them a character that you can identify with. I agree uh that uh you know the the, the the monsters were the protagonists in a lot of ways, even if they weren't necessarily the hero, it was through their point of view. So uh Yeah, we'll see what happens, but that movie's got some stiff competition in Wonder Woman. That thing blew up like crazy, and it's really good. Wow. Who's, who would have thought, right? <laughs> so it's got it's got its work cut out for it, so hopefully it's actually good, and hopefully it does well enough that uh, this dark universe gets underway, if it is indeed worthy of moving forward with the Universal brand, so glad to uh always hear more monster kid radio looking forward to more and talk to you soon
0: bye get over to the fire and water podcast network at fire and to check out the supermates podcast with chris and his wife cindy it's always a fun show i really enjoy it and I, you know i don't think i know anything about those dc cookbooks that you mentioned nick and fiona are awesome and if you ever get a chance to meet them you're, you're in for a treat because they're they're pretty cool. Anyway, so let's talk about Dark Universe a little teeny tiny bit. I am recording this right now over the weekend after my wife and I came back from a screening of The Mummy. We saw it Saturday afternoon and I gotta tell you, as soon as I walked in to the theater, I kind of chuckled a little bit because it was not very well attended. We had come in after the trailers had already started, so we were the stragglers. There really wasn't anybody else after us. It was not a very full movie theater. And yeah, you are absolutely right. Wonder Woman crushed it. I don't know if Universal was, I guess for lack of a better term, as guilty as Warner Brothers and everybody else who didn't really expect Wonder Woman to do very well, so they didn't think too much about putting The Mummy out the second week of Wonder Woman, just not really expecting it to do well. So I don't know what, The decision process was there, if there was a decision process. I still get the impression, despite the fact that Universal has had the trademark on Dark Universe for years and the LLC even longer, I still get the impression there's a lot of let's just throw it together at the last minute going on here. My wife and I were not alone. We were with Tom Doffel, really good friend of the show, and after we saw the movie, we sat down for a couple of minutes in a little waiting area outside the theater, outside the bathrooms, and I pulled it out. I have my portable recorder with me. So we chatted for a couple of minutes. You're going to hear that now. I think the best part, the part that Tom looks forward to the most every time we go see a movie together, is when I pull out the Zoom, shove it in his face, and demand that he speak. Tom, what did you think of the mummy?
10: Uh, I was surprisingly entertained by it. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Surprisingly. Did you not have high hopes?
10: I did not have high hopes. As you know, I go in unsullied, I don't watch any of the trailers or as few as possible, didn't know anything about the story, so I didn't know what to expect, and uh, I was entertained. Don't confuse that with it being a good movie, but I was entertained. (laughs) Uh, How many other Mummy films
0: have you seen in
10: your life? I have seen the original. I have also seen the Brendan Fraser trilogy, which, surprisingly, was referenced as an Easter egg in this. I I was looking for that Easter egg. I couldn't find it. She hit, when, when he was fighting Jekyll, or Hyde in this case, and she was trying to save him, the guy that was chasing her around, she hit him with the book from the Brendan Fraser mummy.
0: Okay, see, I knew there was an Easter egg, but I was looking for like a picture of Rick. That, that's what I had heard, that there was like a picture. But that was the book from the,
10: huh. That was the book from the, from the 1999 mummy, which I am a big fan of, so I recognized it immediately.
0: Or as a lot of people on Reddit say, the original mummy movie.
10: <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not one of those.
0: Those are the only Mummy movies you've seen?
10: Yes, those four. Huh.
0: There's four more Universal and like four Hammer films, half of which are really, really good.
10: <laughs> I have, a, I have a, a more extensive background in Frankenstein.
0: Well, you know, that's coming. That's, that's next,
10: right? It better be as good as Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. Or I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> Everybody should see that, if they haven't already.
0: <laughs> how, how, the, 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 the mummy to Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. I, I don't... Hmm. You may have just broke the podcast. I don't know how to make that leap. <laughs> um, so you didn't know anything about any of this? You didn't know it was Jekyll and Hyde?
10: I had no idea. The only thing I knew was that, was that uh, he was in it. Uh, Russell Crowe, fat Russell Crowe. But I didn't know what character he was playing other than he was the Nick Fury, based on your description.
3: Did you just
0: say fat
3: Russell Crowe? Fat Russell Crowe,
10: yeah. Oh. (laughs) As opposed to skinny Russell Crowe in the Gladiator.
0: Well, you know, you say that. I I forgot how kind of short and squat he is. Uh, I noticed it big time in the Gladiator, because at the beginning of the movie, he's walking around in the armor. And he just looks like it doesn't fit him very well. He says, but in this he puts his hand on the, the palm thing and his fingers are short little stubbins yeah. he's like
10: that's, that's, you're, you're a little man they had to find a little man to stand next to Tom Cruise <laughs> oh. so it adds up before we started seeing this
0: uh, we were talking about whether or not we had seen Tom Cruise movies in the theater in a long time when was the last time you saw Tom Cruise on the big screen first
10: the only thought that I had was in Tropic Thunder but that wasn't a Tom Cruise joint right. so I would say never wow Uh, Would you compare this to some of the Tom Cruise movies you've seen? It's on par, I would say, with some of his uh, moderately entertaining stuff. Yeah, It uh, it was no Edge of Tomorrow, which is fantastic. And Top Gun, you can't top, even though they're remaking that and think they can top it. But yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. What did you think? Are you allowed
0: to say? Oh, yeah, I'm allowed to say, because, you know, and I'm going to get into it a little bit more with my wife, who's over there on a special Married with Monsters. But uh, overall, I was also entertained. For the
10: listeners, he was pointing to his right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, I was entertained. I think it has some issues. I think the ending kind of falls apart a little bit. I think it ran a little long. I think...
10: She wants to get into this right now.
0: All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Say that again.
6: What do you think fell apart at the end?
0: I felt like it just kind of drug on and on and on. (laughs) I just felt like it kind of drug on, and I just, I don't know. They're complaining now, listeners, because I'm assaulting them with the microphone. But no, I just felt like it kind of drug on and on and on. Like after, we're going to get into it, spoilers, after Jenny died, it's just like all the momentum was gone. All, all the momentum was gone it just kind of like petered out after that for me what, what about jenny
10: i am sure glad that he was there to save her life over and over and over, <laughs> and, over and over poor helpless woman right classic poor helpless woman right a classic she's I, smart but she can't take care of herself knew. at all no, one bit needs
6: man she needs tom cruise right. specifically
10: yeah Ridiculous.
0: I'm just glad that there is a woman who is probably at least twenty years younger for Tom Cruise to hook up with.
6: Isn't there always? <laughs> <laughs> there
10: he always is. <laughs> How old is? in his sixties, I think.
0: How old is Tom Cruise? Huh? Huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, we know he's older, and we know she's younger. Yeah, it's ha ha statements. See, I can't put the Scientology joke on this man; they'll shut down my podcast. <laughs> I
6: was doing it quiet.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was, it was thought it was pretty good. Um, we'll, we'll get more into it. Is it a scary movie? Brenda jumped a few times.
6: The jump. Explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the jump scares. Yeah. yeah, I was irritated with them. Actually, <laughs> I didn't need them. You don't need to put this part on the show, but they hurt. It hurts my joints
10: so. Yeah, it jumped back and forth between one, trying to be like a horror movie yes. and a Mission Impossible.
6: Yeah. And mummy Impossible. didn't really together well. well
10: uh,
0: no. So what, what else do you want to say about the Mummy, Tom?
10: Uh, I think people should see it. I think it was entertaining. I don't know about seeing it in a theater and paying the money.
6: Yeah, I, I agree. It's not worth seeing in a theater. It's not worth breaking your not seeing any Tom Cruise memes in a theater right. record mm-hmm. for. Uh, but I thought it was entertaining. I was worried that it was going to be painful the whole time, and it wasn't. It wasn't. I really liked, um, you know, they had a creature hand, and uh, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And the Dracula and... head.
10: The Dracula yes. skull. Yeah.
6: yeah. Which makes me, you know, excited for potential future movies.
0: So, I had considered letting my wife off the hook here because when we did Dragula Untold, when that was going to be part of the thing, she committed on the show, on Pod Air, that she was going to see all the Universal Connected Universe movies. And then this one came up and she's like, Really? Do I have to? I am going to let her off the hook. But I think, listeners, you just heard her commit.
6: I don't think we need to see them in the theater. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs>
0: Sounds like a perfect date movie. The next one's Bride of Frankenstein comes out on the 14th of February, our anniversary.
6: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did you think of the connections to the other? Like, where, where do you think it's going to go? Do you think it's going to actually turn into a thing, or is Universal just trying way too hard?
10: I think everybody's trying way too hard to be Marvel. So. Yeah.
6: I agree. What did you think of, like, the potential future like where do you think it's going to go next well the next one is Frankenstein
0: Bride of Frankenstein Bride of, of Frankenstein the ultimate feminist movie is what somebody said maybe <laughs> she can rescue Jenny too maybe she can rescue Jenny too right yeah yeah um, I knew the Gill hand was in there I was looking for the Easter egg for the 99 mummy uh, skull with fangs on it that's cool but I, I just I still feel like the monster hunting organization is easy Everybody does it. I've done it. It just seems easy to to link them together.
6: I like that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde is sort of the head behind that. But whatever drug he developed, it's got a really short time span. Like he needs to work a little harder on that drug. Lasted <laughs> like 15, 20 minutes.
10: I did really like that character. I thought I thought yes. Russell Crowe was really good. Yeah. As Dr. Jekyll and Hyde.
0: The way they kind of played up the whole evil is a curse and there's an antidote, which is, from what I understand, pretty true to the original Jekyll and Hyde story. So, I thought that was a nice little bit.
6: So, if that's the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, then why was Tom Cruise's character just never going to be cured of his evil? Like, why was there no antidote for his evil? I don't
0: know. You know what
10: the antidote for evil is? Love
0: so as soon as Tom said that he reached out to grab Brenda's hand and she instinctively I don't know reflexively just moved her hand away like (laughs) 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 all right Tom, I appreciate every time we go to see a movie together and you tolerate this whole Zoom in your face thing. It means a lot. I love having you on the show. We need to do an actual proper episode. Maybe we should revisit Frankenstein's daughter, uh, just Jamie's Frankenstein's daughter. I don't know. What do you think?
10: Uh, I think we should. Stay tuned. There will be an
0: upcoming episode of Married with Monsters in which my wife and I talk a little bit more in depth about what we thought about the mummy. You heard a little bit of it here, mostly Tom's thoughts, because I, I purposely held back myself because I knew I'd be sitting down with Brenda in the future to discuss the mummy. You know, you make a really, really good point, and this is following up on the voicemail that we had last week, and I think people who really love the Universal Monster movies get it, that the stories are about the monsters dealing with the world and not the other way around and and you nailed it with larry talbot and the wolfman larry talbot once he becomes part of the universal monster mythos with the wolfman and then his further adventures with frankenstein and the house of dracula house of frankenstein even abbott and costello meet frankenstein he's our sympathetic hero he's our tragic hero And I would almost say he becomes kind of the viewpoint character, or maybe not the viewpoint character, maybe that's not the best way to put it, but the entry character for a lot of the audience. Because he's the one that we're really pulling for. Yeah, it's terrible that the man turns into a wolf and he kills people. It's it's awful. But he doesn't want to. Larry Talbot is a tortured individual, and it's kind of gut-wrenching to see him go through these things and then if you watch house of dracula and see him quote-unquote get cured and then with abbott and Costello meet frankenstein and he's got the wolfman thing going on again it's devastating I, i know there's an argument that you can actually swap the order of those films so that you still can have larry talbot be cured at the end of everything but i don't know just it's it's sad that Talbot is forever cursed, and if you read books like, you know, *The Return of the Wolf Man*, you see that he's still suffering, and it, it's so unfortunate. And he becomes our guy, and this is one of the things that I'm most concerned about with the rumors, if they continue, if Dark Universe continues, if the Mummy did well enough for Universal to go ahead and commit more, I feel like they're already committed to *The Bride of Frankenstein*, but nothing's really been officially announced in terms of release dates for the other movies. And I guess they haven't technically announced who the bride's going to be either, so it might not be too late to pull the plug. But if the rumors are to believed regarding what they're going to do with the Wolfman and who's up to be cast as the Wolfman are true, I don't know. I don't see The Rock. <laughs> I don't see Dwayne Johnson pulling off this tortured soul thing. He he doesn't have the blue-collar everyman vibe that Talbot had, that Lon Chaney Jr. brought to the role, and I don't think he's going to be playing Talbot, whoever they cast as the Wolfman. I don't think it's going to be a Larry Talbot. I think it's going to be a completely different character just based on what we saw on The Mummy. There's nobody in that film that is the modern day analog of a character from one of Universal's original Mummy movies. I would even go as far as saying there's nobody in those films who have the same name of anybody from the Universal monster movies at all. There is a monster character that appeared in previous monster films, but not universally, just happens to be in the public domain, so let's use him. Anyway, I don't think the Wolfman, if they do it, will be Talbot, just like I don't think the Invisible Man will be Griffin. I don't think that we're going to see a Dr. Pretorius turn up in Bride of Frankenstein, if we're going to see a character like that at all. And it's unfortunate. I was really hoping for so much more. Out of the Dark Universe and what The Mummy was going to do. I guess it's doing okay overseas, so maybe Universal's still all in. But I'm starting to get the vibe, the impression that there's a lot of people who are disappointed and want them to change course quickly if they're going to continue. I go back and I read and I listen to interviews with Alex Kurtzman, the man who's basically Kevin Feige-ing his way through these films. Kevin Feige is the guy who's in charge of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Anyway, he directed The Mummy, and now he's going to be in charge of the whole thing. And the interviews, I mean, he says all the right things about building these movies one at a time and having reverence for the originals. And he's, he's saying everything right. But the execution, it just wasn't as there for me as I wanted it to be. But again, I'll get into it with Brenda a little bit more on Married with Monsters in the future. Chris, thanks for calling in. Again, Supermates Podcast. Check it out, ladies and gentlemen. I think I've got a promo for it, so I'll play that here in a second. And Chris, why don't we get you back on the show in the future? I had a blast when we did the Star Trek Monsters episode with you. I'd love to have you back on. And I'm curious. I know it's still kind of far away, but are you planning anything for Halloween over at your podcast again this
13: year? Keep me posted. Hi, Derek. This is Steve Turek. I live in Maryland, and I've been um, listening to your podcast for a while now, and I've been really enjoying it on Monster Cube Radio. I've also been listening to your 1951 Down Place. I'm looking forward to its return, which you said will be coming sometime, and hopefully the near future. Um, really enjoyed the last episode you guys did uh, the B Movie Cast Cookbook. I'm going to be going to Monster Bash. This summer, And I'm looking forward to hopefully that they'll have it there and be able to pick it up. It sounds like something that's right up our alley here at the household. We, a lot of us like to cook. And of course, we love good old fashioned movies that are just fun and enjoyable, which you've been featuring many times on the podcast. And it seems like from the cover that they're going to be featuring very well in the book with little synopsis and stuff like that. I'm also looking forward to meeting you and a lot of the people that have been on your show at Monster Bash. It'll be my first time going to it. I'm going to be taking one of my children with me who's the most interested, my son Ben. And we're hoping to have a lot of fun watching some of those old-time movies and getting to meet some of the people that help bring them to life. Now, recently you've been talking about the dark universe and the mummy. Um, I did see that on um, this past Friday. My point of view, or looking at it, I enjoyed it. I know you and um, some of your guests have been looking at this show up a little bit of um, worrisome and that kind of stuff, but personally, it was a fun popcorn flick. I wouldn't have enjoyed it. I didn't mind it getting moved up to the modern era. I even enjoyed how it did a little bit of um, American Werewolf in London with having the one guy come back um, as a Ghost talking to him about having to follow through with what he has to do, talking to Tom Cruise's character, that is. And I even enjoyed the little shout-out that they had to um, to Brandon Frazier, but that book that the one lady used um, to uh, hit the other guy with, and I ended up looking at it like, oh, that's the book for the 1999 series. So I really think it was fun. I know it's going to probably do dismal here in the American of this big box office because Wonder Woman being out but I hear it's doing really well in the foreign market, so I'm hoping that it sets it up, and I'm sure I saw on Facebook that you saw it, and you probably saw The Creature's Hand in that one um, Easter egg-type part. I saw that, too, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with these other movies. I know, again, everybody's looking at it and saying, oh, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see that. I want to live with what we had in the past, but for me, I like to see what they do with these newer movies. And um, really see how they bring them up into the modern era. I know a lot of people are always upset when they redo movies and um, that kind of thing. And sometimes I am too. I didn't like the remake of Psycho um, and those kind of things and keep the remake of Carrie and and things along those lines. But the way I look at it is...
0: Steve, I have been in contact with Nick and Fiona and I can confirm, I can report that yes, the B-movie cookbook will be available for sale at the Monster Bash, I believe Juan from the B-Movie cast will have them for sale at his table at Fifth Dimension Films. Now, Juan sells a ton of movies here, and he's going to have the book. I think that's where it's going to be for sale. So check it out. And, well, stop mine chat with Juan, too. He's a good dude. Nick and Fiona are awesome. I can't wait to see them again. And I can't wait to meet you, man. I'm looking forward to meeting so many people at Monster Bash. I've been chatting with Scott, and and he's going to be there. I think I've mentioned that before. If I haven't, Scott's going to be there. And I've been chatting with Scott and telling him, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Celebrity guests, seeing movies, that's fine. I'm looking forward to that, too, and I'm looking forward to having those shared experiences with people. But the thing that I'm looking forward to the most are the fellow monster kids, the fellow monster bashers, everybody who's going to be there. I'm looking forward to meeting you, sir. I'm looking forward to meeting all the mkr the listeners, all of you. Please track me down. I'd love to chat with you and just kind of hang out for a few. Alright, Dark Universe, you know what? We seem to be coming back to this, and I think we're going to be coming back to this for a while. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you know what? It is a popcorn movie, and Tom Doffel actually said that in the recording uh, earlier. You, You heard him say that, you know, it's an entertaining movie. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a great film, but it's an entertaining movie, and you know what? This has started to come up on the Facebook group as well, where people are debating whether or not the movie was good, what they thought of it, that sort of thing, and You know, as a sidebar, I want to thank everybody for keeping that pretty civil. That's awesome. I I hope to keep it civil. I understand that some people are not going to like this movie. Some people are going to love this movie, and that's cool. Let's talk about it with respect. And I appreciate everybody's doing that so far. So you guys and gals are awesome. Anyway, uh, I, I don't think this is a great film. You know, here I am getting all stuffy about the whole thing, but... You know, the further I am away from the movie, the less I remember bits and pieces of the movie, which is probably not a really good thing since I'm going to be sitting down with Brenda and recording an episode of Married with Monsters with her here soon. I probably should do it before the movie completely fades from our memory. And I think part of it's just because there's so much of it that is a blockbuster, big-budget action movie thing. You know what I mean? I mean, this movie doesn't have a lot of horror, but it has a lot of action. And I'm the kind of person where that kind of thing doesn't necessarily stick with me i mean sure i might enjoy the thrill of it but when i walk away from a movie that's probably one of the first things that just kind of falls out of my memory my consciousness when it comes to these films that's just who i am to refer back to the facebook conversation something that i mentioned there and this is something that i've been kind of formulating a little bit when i sat down and chatted with chris mcmillan which you may have already heard or you're going to hear shortly afterwards depending on where i put it in the show but You know, I was talking about the movie with him and his thoughts about it and his thoughts about the 1999 Mummy film with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss. None of these movies, whether it's the 99 film or Dark Universe, seem to be remaking or even taking more than maybe just a name or two from the original Karloff film. I think we get kind of focused on the Boris Karloff movie because it's so good. It's an incredible creature design. That mummy looks amazing. It's got so many amazing things in it. The performances, even though it doesn't have a lot of music, the way they do use the music, the cinematography is gorgeous. Karloff's performance, I mean, top-notch, as well as everybody else. Fantastic film. But it's not the only Universal mummy film. Universal made four Other mummy movies in the 40s, Mummy's Hand, Tomb, Curse, and Ghosts, and I always forget which order they're in. And I think sometimes Universal might have as well because they have some continuity issues. They just cranked them out, almost as if they were serials. And I think we even commented on that way back in the day when I had Nick Hatcher on the show and we talked about some of these mummy movies. We mentioned that a lot of them feel like serials and that makes sense considering that some of the actors from those movies came from the serials. Now, I like those movies a lot. Tom Tyler is a great mummy and I can't get enough Lon Chaney Jr. Even though if he probably had more than enough mummy, from what I understand, it was his least favorite role in that. (laughs) that costume. Had to have been super uncomfortable. And yeah, again, I know. But if those were serial adventure stories... And does it really take that much of a leap to get to the 99 Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss film, or even this film with Tom Cruise and the actress whose name I can't remember? They feel like adventure pulp stories, just with a lot more money and CGI technology thrown at them. And you know what? If you're going to ease somebody into the dark universe and really do some horror films with these horror characters... Why not start with an adventure story like this? Why not start with something that traditionally is going to be an easier sell? It's a PG-13 film, so you've opened it up to the widest possible demographic in terms of getting people into the theater. So maybe this was all by clever design. Who knows? You mentioned the American Werewolf in London thing, and that's something I also mentioned with Chris. Again, either before or after this, you'll hear that. I don't know we'll see what happens i I think universal is committed one way or the other to bride of frankenstein i mean it's already in the works they can't really full stop at this point without losing a lot of money what happens after that who knows i've been seeing a lot of things online a lot of reviews commentaries editorials columns about how maybe universal did do the right thing by telling everybody that these movies will not be so connected they take place in the same universe you might have the Jekyll Hyde character turn up every once in a while, but they're not going to be playing off of each other the way some of the Marvel or DC films seem to. That might have been, again, a very wise choice because if they are going to change direction significantly, well, you don't have the whole Incredible Hulk problem. (laughs) What I mean by that is with the Marvel Universe films, the one that seems to stand out the most is the Incredible Hulk. Not not the Hulk, not the Ang Lee Hulk. I mean, that's probably the Dracula untold of that franchise in that it's not part of anything. I'm talking about the Incredible Hulk that had Ed Norton. And it, again, it just seems to stand out. It doesn't seem to fit with the rest of them. And it seems to be the one they referenced the least in all the follow-up Marvel films. Yeah, they do get referenced, but it does seem to be referenced the least. Kind of like, uh, well, it happened, but we're not really going to acknowledge it. And I wonder if Universal does have a film that doesn't do as well as they wanted to. They kind of shunt it off to the side and continue and do Bride of Frankenstein, Invisible Man. Dwayne the Rock Johnson as the Wolfman. Oh, please, I don't want to see that. Well, huh. You know, if they're going to go with a pulp style storytelling model, I suppose it would be harder to pick somebody other than The Rock to play a pulp style hero. Wasn't he in talks at one point in talks about maybe playing Doc Savage, the Man of Bronze and something? I could just be imagining some fan art online that somebody took his face and photoshopped it to look like Doc Savage and Doc Savage can't get more pulp than that. I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Bottom line, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. We'll see what happens. And I appreciate you calling in. Thank you so much. And again, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Monster Bash. So it turns out I'm actually putting the conversation with Chris McMillan after that voicemail. So we're going to play that. Right now, Uh, real quick though, I didn't edit any of that, that was recorded live at a Starbucks downtown near Powell's, the city of Books, so you get to hear the background music, maybe a barista making coffee, it's just raw audio, I hope you dig it. So this wasn't necessarily planned for this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio, but I met up with my man, Chris McMillan. My man, you hear that?
9: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Chris McMillan in downtown Portland. Is something what we do? We kind of meet up, have coffee, chat, shop, talk shop for a couple of hours. And He saw The Mummy this
9: morning? Yeah. Almost? Yeah, just a couple hours ago.
0: And, uh, okay, so this is going to be in this week's episode. <laughs> kind of, sort of, doing some mummy reviews. Uh-huh. I, I saw it yesterday with Brenda and Tom Doffel. listeners already heard that. What did you think of the movie
9: well i'm not going to say it's the most you know it's terrible but i was definitely underwhelmed uh i i guess disappointed because you know they they're basically redoing the 1999 mummy movie (laughs) they changed the characters a little bit they changed the outcome but it's it's basically the Brandon Fraser, Rachel Weiss, mummy movie.
0: See, it's funny to hear you say that you weren't overly impressed since you co-wrote the film.
9: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that.
0: The so, last line of the film. <laughs> sometimes we need a monster to fight a monster. <laughs> um, somebody was clearly listening to your voicemail,
9: right? I guess. And it, so. And guess threw that in at the last minute. I had no I heard that in the movie and I'm like. Oh, God, really? Yeah,
0: listen, if you didn't hear it last, was it last week? I think so. Or the week, no, I think it was the week before. Either way, yeah. Chris called in what he wanted, or what he thought would be a really interesting mummy premise, and he used that line. And I was like, it,
9: it was like I wrote it. I, I couldn't believe And to have Russell Crowe say it, well, okay, cool.
0: <laughs> All right, so. Um, like I've been saying in this episode, Brenda and I are going to do a Married with Monsters about this, so I will get more into it with her. Overall, it sounds like I might have liked it a little bit more than you did. Uh, like, I didn't have a lot of problems. I mean, I had problems.
9: Yeah. I. You know, it's one of those movies where it's like, it's not a bad movie. It's just not something you want to use to launch... A brand new universe, a cinematic universe, with it—it it just fell flat. And you know, okay, here's here's one of my basic problems. I mean, okay, you've got well, what Nick in this movie, and it's Rick in the 1999 one. It's like, come on, guys, you couldn't think of a better <laughs> name. You're just ripping yourself off. You've got the big mummy face in the sandstorm. When you're doing, you know, my thing is, when you're doing a reboot or a re, re, remake, it, you got two ways to do it. You can either change it completely, or you can do it better. You know, I mean, a change it completely is kind of like um, the Howard Hawks' The Thing from Another World and John Carpenter's The Thing. Okay. Two separate movies. They can't be judged against each other, really, because it's apples and oranges. It's, it's a total reimagining of it. So you do it, your own thing, or you make it better. And that's what they were trying to do, I think, with this month, with, this, with uh, the new Mummy movie. They were trying to make the old one, but make it better. Or just make it different, which didn't really work either. And the, and the problem with that to me is, lots of people like the 1999 Mummy. I mean, okay, my mom doesn't like monster movies. She owns a copy of The Mummy. She <laughs> likes that movie. She really does. You know, and a lot of people do have fond memories of it. So to try and redo it just just kind of makes you go, eh, whatever.
0: Right. You know, you mentioned the Nick thing. My issue with that is, uh, and I'm going to talk about this with Brenda, we watch a show uh, called New Girl on Fox. It's a sitcom. Okay. With uh, one of the... Deschanel brothers or sisters? Sisters?
9: I don't know, but okay. <laughs> that's Zoe.
0: Is it Zoe Deschanel? Uh, anyway, Okay. we watched that, and Jake Johnson's in that. We like Jake Johnson a lot. He plays a character named Nick in that show. He played Nick's best friend or buddy, Vale, in the film. Oh. So to hear him calling for Nick over and over and over again, this <laughs> felt so weird. Because <laughs> we know that's Nick. <laughs>
9: Okay, I could see that being a problem. Yeah,
0: I mean, we like Jake Johnson a
9: lot. We think he's funny. Yeah.
0: But, I don't know. So, but that brings me to a point that I wanted to bring up a few. I didn't bring it up with Tom Doffel because I, I don't know how well-versed he is in a lot of 80s horror. Right. I was totally American Werewolf in London, right?
9: Oh, thank you. I'm not the only one who okay. saw that. Okay, I mean, it's like, okay, you've got the ghostly figure trying to guide him. I mean, maybe not in a good way, but and it's in London.
0: Really? Okay, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't just me.
9: Yeah, oh. the only thing they didn't have in, is him decomposing. <laughs> like in American Werewolf. Yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 not yeah, the same. Yeah. yeah, not the same.
0: Now, the other thing, and this is more of a deeper cut for horror. Tombs of the Blind Dead, the Knights the Templar. Did,
9: <laughs> yeah. did you yes. see that too? I, I, I was okay. like, oh wow, I didn't
0: wonder what they're going to look like. Okay, I, I mean, I, I like the, the nice simpler films, the, the four.
9: Oh,
0: yeah. The uh, yeah. films. Uh, I liked them quite a bit. And I think it's a very unique take on an undead crusader monster type. I, I love that he created his own mythology and all of that. Right. And I don't know, I, I saw the reference here. I don't think it was a bad thing. I mean, that, that was a nod. The werewolf in London thing, though, I feel like was
9: too much. Whether it was intentional or not, it was just not a good choice.
0: For a guy who claims to love these monster movies, for him oh, that's not true. to know yeah. what
9: that was, yeah. who, who released American Werewolf in London? That, uh, any... that was, uh, uh, oh God. It's no, not it was... universal. Is it? I think it is. It might okay. be. I don't remember. Um, yeah, okay. Let's, yeah, we got, hey, guess what? We have technology. But I think it was universal because because um, of um, Oh, geez, I'm trying to remember. Best podcasting ever. Oh, yeah. Hang on. We're looking.
0: <laughs> I can't even edit this because of the background noise. <laughs> oh, yeah, Universal distribute.
9: Okay. Yeah. Well, and you'd think that if everybody's saying, oh, we like monsters, we know monsters, they would know that, well, you know, you may come off as a little bit of a rip-off here. It's a
0: little derivative. Yeah. Um, we did have the nod to the original Mummy, or I did it again. I did it earlier when I was talking with Brenda and Tom. I keep... The
9: 99 Mummy.
0: So so many people on Reddit, on YouTube, keep talking about why is this more like the original Mummy with Brendan Fraser? Uh, I have to go home and watch Karloff's Mummy just to... I don't know, man.
9: But but there was a, it.
0: Yeah, there were. So there's a couple nods, obviously, in and, and the book.
9: Oh yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it, it just felt like they were trying. They were they were trying to remake a movie. They could have just continued with this dark universe. Yeah. You know, they could have just kept them going. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. You said earlier there was something that you did like.
9: Oh, yes. he I, liked to crow. Oh, yeah, especially when he hide it out. <laughs> I'm going to call it, it's a hideout.
0: <laughs> that, is good. No, that was good. No, that was good. I liked the, uh, the, the hiding out moment when he changes, physically changes. And I mentioned this again earlier. I love that they continued the evil is a disease, we got to cut it out kind of thing
9: that makes sense makes a lot of sense especially for where they're going with the with the universe and what I appreciated about the Russell Crowe Hyde is that he didn't over morph and become a computerized character like um, like um, in Von Helsing at the beginning of that you know just just too much CGI this I mean the CGI change was there the makeup and CGI augmentation was there but it wasn't overdone which was really nice and 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 Crow really sold it.
0: Sure. Well, he did really good. I, I was very impressed with him. A lot of people are saying this is the worst Tom Cruise movie. I don't think Tom Cruise was all that bad, to be honest.
9: No, I, 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 I'm I blanking on the actress's name, the, the lead actress. Um,
0: Jenny.
9: Jenny, yeah. They had no chemistry. No, they didn't. They, you know, they really kind of, you know, we get thrown into the fact that they had a one-night stand in Cairo, and then he ripped her off her stuff. Um but it never felt like there was any real connection between them, I guess would be the word, that would would signify that they really would do some of the stuff that happened in the movie. And I'm not going spoilers, so don't call out the count. Um, (laughs) But, you know, there was nothing that indicated they would go that far in the movie to the lengths they did to protect each other.
0: Yeah. I don't know, we got that flashback where she said, there's a good man in there.
9: Yeah, and then he, he admits, well, I was looking for another parachute. I thought there was one, you know. Um, I will say the action, yeah, I will say some of the action sequences were very good. Uh, yeah. The plane crash was really nice.
0: And the big, her getting out and going through the streets of London, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I thought as a spectacle, it was very cool. She looked very cool. Yes, she did. And attractive, but very cool, and she sold it really well. And I'm not going to seal Brenda's thunder here but when we do our Married with Monsters, but she made a comment about one of the things that she really liked about that sequence regarding the glass, Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was really great. And I think because I liked that sequence so much, the end of the film is where... Yeah. All the momentum just was drained out of the film when, and, and I am pulling out the count, there are spoilers, when Jenny dies. I felt like when Jenny dies, the momentum of the film stops. And I, I really struggled with that.
9: Yeah, it did kind of stop, and okay, so we went spoilery, so I can do it too. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> um, I didn't have a problem with that moment um, where I thought the momentum stopped got sucked out of the film was when the the mummified Templar Knights faded away. You know, and it's just Cruz and The Mummy. It was just like, you know, you had this giant chase through London, you had everything going on, and then all of a sudden it just brr. And just when I thought they might do something interesting, they're, they they do not and they're setting up for the next one. Yeah. And, It just was like oh yeah the ending i just i I couldn't get into it it just you know once once her army of mummies vanished it just didn't live up to all the spectacle that was built up in it
0: either way towards the end is where i have my biggest issues too yeah and i just tom cruise screaming at a dead woman to tell her to wake up just it just doesn't have that epic crescendo that I felt like this movie really needed
9: well and, and not only that like I said the chemistry wasn't there so you never really saw a connection between the two that would lead to the stuff that he did in order to shout wake up and bring her back yeah spoiler yeah
0: no it's, it's true I, I mean I, I am glad that Jake Johnson's character came back that Vale came back because it means maybe I get to see him again yeah and I, I know new girls wrapping up this year so he's gonna need a job <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um or the next season. Anyway. So I'm glad to see him back. Are we going to see Cruz again in future films? I don't know if he's signed. I know Crow is, but that's it. I, I would like to find a connection between Jenny and a classic monster. Why is she part of the prodigion? Why is she there? We never really... We know
9: right. she works for them, but then all of a sudden she's surprised at what Russell Crowe's going to do with Tom Cruise's kid. With, uh, with right. Nick. And it's like, well, of course you're going to do that because you're that's, dedicated to stopping evil. That's what they do.
0: Um, they did give her last name. I forget what it is off the top of my head. But it's nothing that rang any bells and made me think, oh, that's a character from this film. True. Yeah, as I said earlier in this episode of the podcast that I feel like if we're hoping for new versions of the characters themselves, we're not going to get that in this film or the dark this film. The Invisible Man is not going to be Griffin. We're not going to have a Larry Talbot as a Wolfman. I think it's going to be completely different characters who happen to be an Invisible Man, a Wolfman, whatever. Maybe or maybe not played by The Rock.
9: Yeah, I was going to say, um, if they if they do Larry Talbot with The Rock as Larry Talbot, I'm... Okay, don't get me wrong. I think The Rock is a great... Movie star. Yeah, he's an action hero. I, You know, he's fun to watch. But he's not Larry Talbot.
0: He looks good, but then all he does is make movies and work out.
9: So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, no, and he, and he does action sequences really well. And he's and, great and at it. He's great in the movies I've seen him in. I mean, I, I, I found San Andreas at the local library. God awful movie, but he's good in it. You can watch him and go, yeah, I like watching this guy.
0: He's charismatic. Yes. He's got the charisma. There's no surprise. That of all the wrestlers turned actors, he's the one that's become the immediately bankable superstar. I mean, it, 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 just look at the guy. Yeah. Listen to the guy. He's great. He's not the tortured soul that the Wolfman
3: is in be. the films
0: that we love. So, yeah. while we may have a Frankenstein's monster and Bride of Frankenstein, I doubt we're going to have a Victor Frankenstein character or, or any of these people, a Dr. Waldman, mm. a Dr. Pretorius any of these characters that we know and love that are not the monsters. So I don't think we're seeing any of them. And the monsters themselves are just going to be brand new.
9: Which, you know, is okay. I just, you know, and, and okay, here's the thing. I don't want the mummy to fail. I don't want the dark universe to fail. I went into the mummy going, God, I hope this is just like Kong Skull Island. Because I went into that with low expectations and loved the hell out of it. But this one just was kind of... I don't know if they're going to need to rethink what they're going to do. I don't know if they're just going to plow ahead. I don't want the dark universe to fail. I want to see more monsters in the theaters. But yeah. I don't think this was a good starting off point.
0: Yeah, I, I think more monsters, more of the traditional monsters, is, is a great thing. The mm-hmm. like having mummies and Frankenstein monsters and Draculas and, and, and Gilman. I, I want them to be part of the pop culture in a way that you and I have never experienced in our lifetime because we did not grow up during the classic Monster Kid era. Yep. I mean, you've got a little bit of age on I me, mean, but not much. I mean, you're not a traditional or classic first generation Monster Kid either. No, no, no. And, and I would love to live in a world in which we get to experience that in a way that we haven't up until this point. But they're not making the movies for us man you know we're not the target demographic yeah so I don't know uh, well
9: uh, you know and the thing is I mean I love the classic monster movies I would love to see them redo them but I also know that's a pipe dream there's too much money and too much background politics involved in Hollywood for that to happen
0: too much at stake
9: yeah there's there's way too much money and so they're going to change them and that's okay I just I don't mind change you know I'm looking forward to the new Godzilla movie only because of Kong Skull Island. And I'm looking forward to Godzilla vs. Kong. So they can do change and they can do it right. I just don't think they quite pulled this off.
0: Go back, look at all the interviews that Alex Kurtzman gave over the years about this. Go back and read all the material that Universal put out about Dracula Untold being the first one.
9: Oh, God, yeah.
0: And I know I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, despite the fact that they've had the trademark for this since 2014, that they've had an LLC for this since, I think, 2011, it all still feels like it was put together at the last minute.
9: Yeah, it does.
0: And that's unfortunate. I think if you're going to play the long game, you need to think harder about what you're going to do.
9: Yeah. Either that or it was played through by committee.
0: Which is totally it's, possible because we're not just making movies for the American audience anymore. Right. You have to think about what's going to sell in China. Mm-hmm. You have to think about what's going to sell in India.
9: Well, and, and that's why they have Tom Cruise, because he sells in, in foreign markets. But yeah. not only, I'm, not, I'm not talking about thoughts about foreign markets or anything. I just think that somewhere along the line, someone didn't stop people and go, Hey, you know, all these ideas... They're coming from a movie we did less than 20 years ago. Ah, okay. Let's do something different. I think it was more, yeah, that's just like the movie everybody else loved. So if we do it that way, they're going to love this one.
0: Yeah, if they do it like they did in the original. (laughs) (laughs) I rolled my, that was on purpose. He
9: he did that on purpose. (laughs) I saw that.
0: (laughs) I will say this. When we went to the movie to see it yesterday, when Brendan and Tom and I did, I was wearing uh, my Mummy t-shirt. I, I, listeners know that I like to Monster Kid Radioize movie posters, and, and I have one of The Mummy that says Monster Kid Radio instead of you know, The Mummy, and I wore that yesterday. Yeah. Nobody blinked an eye at the movie theater. Nobody made a comment, nothing. But afterwards, we went to go get some frozen yogurt, and the girl working there made a comment. Loved the shirt. Talked about how she had a calendar of classic monster movie posters that she loved, and she had to have been in her early twenties.
9: Where is this? <laughs> Where is this ice cream shop? Because I have to go there. I mean, just to talk to someone serving me ice cream about monster movies sounds awesome. Yeah, that
0: was that was cool, and, and just so to have that and to be able to see again our monsters in the pop culture in a way that somebody in the frozen yogurt shop's going to mention it. That's great.
9: Yeah. So, we'll oh, it was frozen happens. yogurt. That yeah. doesn't matter. Ice cream, oh, frozen okay. yogurt. I don't care. <laughs> Monsters, there. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll you see. know, like I said, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say this was a terrible movie because it really wasn't, but it was just kind of, you know, the old meh. Nah. Um, and I, I don't want to see this movie fail, although it's not looking good. I don't want to see the Dark Universe fail. But I really think they better start thinking about how they're going to do the next one because they, they're going to have to come up with something... Old. They're going to have to come up with something much better.
0: I think it was by design that before this came out, I started getting some of the reviews, new reactions. The universe was like, oh, but uh, we have Dracula coming and Hunchback and Phantom. They're on the way, really. Yeah. Part of it's all promotion and all trying to justify it. I think they're already locked into Brad. I, I don't think they could un- undo that. Right. What it becomes. I mean, they might be able to change what the script is or whatever. Yeah. But I think they're committed to that. I think Depp is solid. He's still in The Invisible Man no matter what,
9: right? Um, I know it's set up, but I mean, they, I, all I, I, I did a look on the IMDb page, okay. and all it is is Johnny Depp. There's nothing else attached. There's no release date. There's no writer. There's no director. No director. Um, I mean, they could. I mean, he could easily drop out of this before it even starts.
0: Although, depending on how his lawsuit goes, he may need to take the job anyway.
9: Well, that is true. <laughs> and let's be honest, um, pirates didn't do two. Uh, pirates five didn't do all that well. So. Get enough
0: for them to make it. They're committed to a six. One of those. That's what I hear. Really? Anyway. That's what
9: I hear. Oh boy.
0: That, that's more Scott and Tracy's realm. Maybe yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
9: <laughs> and. Right. and You know, I mean, we talked about this earlier, I don't think, I think when they started last week lowering their box office expectations, I think that Universal figured they had a solid lock a week after Wonder Woman, because I don't, I think that everybody expected that one not to do as well as it's doing. Right. And that was just...
0: Short-setting on everybody's part. Yeah, it really was. (laughs) Everybody kind of dropped the ball on that
9: one. Yeah, no kidding, because, yeah it's but even even if wonder woman hadn't have come out and been doing as well right now i still don't think the movie would be really pulling anybody in it it you know uh, i don't know <laughs> I, well, yeah it
0: sounds like overall i probably enjoyed it a little bit more than chris but i i agree with so many of his points it felt so it's empty. It's a popcorn movie. It's as Tom said in the earlier part
9: of this recording. It's
0: entertaining, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Yeah, um, I, I,
9: I can go with that.
0: Yeah, and I I have more problems with it than say Wonder Woman or anything else I've seen recently. It's no patch on the original Mummy movies at all. No, at all, and. I know people like Jeff Owens have been doing a countdown of different Mummy movies leading up to this. So go check out his website, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that. Um, there are so many great Mummy movies out there. Will this lead to a Blu-ray release of more Mummy movies from Universal? Are they out on a Blu-ray yet? I don't know.
9: I don't know. I, I, I just have my DVD collection right mm-hmm. now.
0: I mean, I know the Karloff one's on blu Yeah. There are four other Universal Mummy movies that I know can do stuff with. and. <sighs> Even the originals from 1999. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, Chris is the man behind the shadow over Portland. Go check it out. There's a link over at monsterkidradio.net. He's a permalink because he's been with the show from the very, very beginning, having appeared in episode number one. It's always good to have him on the show. Okay, before we stop talking about The Mummy, one more voicemail. This comes from Steve Sullivan. Hey,
5: Derek. Steve Sullivan calling in with that follow-through on The Mummy, which I promise. I like to... I liked it quite a lot. I think I would have liked it a lot better, actually, if the trailers hadn't spoiled quite a few of the surprises and, and scenes in it. And uh, unfortunately, things like uh, who Russell Crowe was portraying, which I didn't know anything about until fans started blabbing about it. If I hadn't known that, I would have liked it better. I planned to go see it again. It had some creepy stuff and some very creepy ideas and scenes in it. It didn't tend to linger on them as long as it might have to really get that scare factor up, moving then on to action. But that was okay. I I didn't mind that it was action-packed, because I think, honestly, that we're going to get that nowadays. You know, for every woman in black, we're going to get a a movie like this that, that has to move Fairly quickly a lot of the time. But it still has some good thought in it and some interesting ideas and I like the characters. I like the fact that Tom Cruise's character is not a total, totally likable action hero, but he's something kind of different from that. I like the supporting characters. I didn't mind, you know, the kind of nods to things like American Werewolf in London. I, overall, the only thing I didn't like about it was they spoiled too much of it with the, with the previews and the trailers. So I also thought it was a a good, set up to the Dark Universe and they even had a logo for that which I kind of didn't expect I guess I should have uh, but they were on top of that and I, I thought that was good I was a little surprised they didn't have an after scene at all because I think we've kind of come to expect those in franchise films like this uh, we got them in Kong we get them all in all the Marvel movies so I was a little surprised by that but not disappointed uh, it was interesting that they did have a chill-like organization fighting the monsters uh, they didn't call it SAVE but, uh, you know, I'm not sure we invented that with Chill, but clearly it was something that we did help popularize. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and I'm planning to see the movie again. So overall, I'd, I'd give it a thumbs up. It's not the best movie I've seen this near, year. It's not as good as Wonder Woman, but I liked it better than uh, a number of other things that I've seen this year, including the Pirates of the Caribbean. I haven't seen any real stinkers, though. And this one, I'd say, is, is better than most. And I think when I see it again. Now, having gotten over the spoiler edition of it, I think I'll like it even better the second time. So, that's it. I will see you at Monster Bash, and it was great hearing Nick and Fiona, and hopefully I will see Nick again and maybe even meet Fiona at Monster Bash along with other people who are listening. Please introduce yourself because I've been to a lot of cons in my life and everything tends to blur together very, very quickly, especially if I've only met you online. So, see you at Monster Bash. Have a great time. Keep up the good work. Enjoying the show as always. Steve Sullivan, signing out.
0: Yeah, there's not much more to say than that. I mean, I think uh, between his call and the other calls and the recordings and – I think we've pretty much covered it. At this point, though, I'd still love to hear what you think about the film. So either get involved in the conversation on Facebook or write in at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at our voicemail line. It's 503-479-5657. That's 503 479 mkr There is a three minute limit on that Google voicemail. So if you have more than three minutes worth of stuff to say, you might have to call in more than once, and I'll just stitch it together in post production. And yeah, Steve, I will see you at Monster Batch as well. I've met you once in person before. I'm looking forward to spending more time with you, my friend. And yeah, Nick and Fiona will be there too, but you already heard that. Thanks for calling in, man. (music)
1: Death, eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket.
7: The Mummy, is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know, you'll see, you'll Feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. Ah! There's nothing on earth like the mummy.
1: You will not remember what I show you now, and yet I shall awaken memories of love and crime and death. Now I know his horrible plan.
2: He is going to kill her and make her a living mummy like himself.
1: In the barony of Frankenstein, a monster created by man stalked through the country and killing. In time, Frankenstein, maker of the monster, died. The monster disappeared. Now, after 20 years, the son of Frankenstein returns. And fear grips the village anew. A man tainted by the blood of his father can forget his human soul and carry on the diabolical work of the Frankenstein. As a man, I should destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Benson, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale, universal son of Frankenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. Basil Rathbone. In his heart, warm human emotions. In his mind, the monster mania.
11: It's alive. Alive, you mean? Yes, alive, but alive! I thought you said
1: our experiments I were... know, I know, I do thought that we failed, but we haven't. I've actually seen it walk. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Nugosi, sinister, mysterious, evil. You'll see that. They hanged me once. Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. One doesn't easily forget, Herr Baron, an arm torn out of the roots. Josephine Hutchinson, her young beauty a magnet to the menace around her.
3: I hate it here, Wolf.
4: I'm terribly afraid all the time.
2: By heaven, I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers.
0: A lot of stuff that happened in this episode. Thank you for sticking around and listening and checking it out. Really appreciate everybody just being part of the Monster Kid Radio audience. Helps me justify all the time I sit in front of the microphone on a Wednesday night. So thank you so much. I appreciate you checking out the show notes over at Monster Kid Radio. Dot .net we've got links to everything that you've heard about here on the show. You can find links to Tim's website, you can find Steve's website, Chris's website. You can find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. You can also find a link to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Go like the page and join the group if you are Facebook inclined. Enjoying the conversation that we're having over there. And I meant it. I really appreciate everybody keeping it civil when it comes to discussing the mummy over the Facebook group. That just means a lot to me because I've seen some Facebook groups just explode. So thank you so much for keeping it fun for everyone. I mentioned the rallies earlier. Remember June 30th is the cutoff for your ballot. Tinyurl.com slash rallies 2017. And remember June 20th is the deadline for the contest for the book by Anthony Wendell. You can give me your entry for the book. MonsterKidradio at gmail.com, which is also where you can send any feedback that you have about the show. You can also call in and leave us a voicemail at five zero three-four seven nine five six five seven. That's five zero three-four seven nine five MKR. We also have links to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio, and we really appreciate your support. That way. Once again, I am looking forward to Monster Bash. If you are there, please don't be shy. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be kind of hard to miss. I'm six foot four. I stand out in a crowd and I will be wearing a Monster Kid Radio t-shirt of some sort. I'll be there. I'll be there with Scott Morris. I'll be there with Jeff Owens, Rich Chamberlain, Stephen D. Sullivan, Christopher R. Mim, a whole bunch of other people. Mark Hader, Mitch Gonzalez, Steve Dirk's going to be there. Dwight is going to be there. Joshua Kennedy's going to be there. Friend of the show, Frank J. Delostrito, will be there with a presentation about The Return of the Vampire. I can't wait for that. I also know that listener of the show, Terry, is going to be there. Terry is going to have a table. She's vending this year, and if you haven't seen her merchandise, you are missing out. She sells shirts, messenger bags, that sort of thing, but they're all made out of the coolest fabric out there. I know Scott's got one of her custom shirts featuring poster art from classic Donald Duck cartoons. I know that she's done Hawaiian-style shirts featuring art reminiscent of like classic monster movies and just really cool stuff. So check out her table if you're at the bash. I'm going to have my recorder with me. Chances are I'm going to try to shove it in your face, but if you don't want to be on the show, that's, that's fine. Just let me know. Still would love to hang out with you and meet you and spend some time with you. It's going to be a blast one more thing about the mummy before i sign off i do follow the website blackgate.com this is the website for the magazine blackgate adventures in fantasy literature they used to be a paper magazine now they are strictly online from what i understand and they have regular columns well ryan harvey posted last weekend a column titled the massachusetts mummy universal's charis mummy movies it's a breakdown of the four mummy films tomb ghost curse and hand And it's a great article. He breaks down the films, talks about how they're connected, how they kind of blew some of the continuity, but they're still fun. Some of the things that could have happened in the movies, talks about the Tana leaves, It's a great read. And I've been in contact with Ryan. He's on Facebook. He accepted my friend request. And we immediately started talking mummy movies, Peter Cushing, and Hammer Films. And he's going to be doing an article on the Hammer mummy movies here in the very near future. So get over to Blackgate.com to watch for that. I'll make sure there's a link to his article about the Karis mummy movies in the show notes. And Ryan, if you're listening, thank you. It's a great article. And yeah, we'll definitely have you on the show. I know you love your Hammer films. So do I. Oh, and you know what? Speaking of Hammer Films, somebody mentioned in a voicemail about 1951 downplace. Within the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear something. I promise. Okay, that's the end of the show. Why don't we go ahead and wrap up. Again, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for sharing the post, retweeting the tweets, and giving us honest reviews on the iTunes store. And thanks for checking out the bands that allow us to play their music on the show. Once again, the opening and closing song was by Surf Flamingo. The song is called Antropenous Bay Terror. It's from the album of the same name. You can find them at sirflamingo.bandcamp.com to buy the album. Six tracks. Two of them are pretty cool covers. And you name your price. You can't find better value than that. You can also go to surflamingo.com to check them out. Between and next week's episode, Dwight Kemper is going to be on the show. We're going to be talking about Son of Frankenstein. That's going to be a treat. But between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Except for that song that I mentioned, Entrepreneus Bay Terror, that belongs to Surf Flamingo. They gave us permission to play them on the show. Check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. I'm Derek McClick. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.